0: Please welcome Vice President of Investor Relations, Justin Furby.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to Workday Rising and Financial Analyst Day 2022. It is great to be with you all here live in beautiful, sunny, cheery Orlando, Florida for our first in-person analyst day in three years. And I have to say, I've had the opportunity to walk the floor for the last 10 minutes. And I must say, this group, Ages pretty well. Well, we we too at Workday have aged pretty well over the last few years. And as you'll hear throughout the day, our business has scaled considerably since Rising 2019. And that scale has created unique opportunities for us as we think about the next phase of our growth. Before we launch into today's program, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes orienting you on what to expect today for the next couple of hours. To kick things off, You'll hear from our co-CEOs, Anil Bushri and Chano Fernandez, who will bring you up to speed on the momentum we've seen in our business and share a bit about our strategy going forward. Then we'll hear from executives across our strategy and product and technology organization on how our relentless innovation continues to expand our market opportunity. We will then go to a short break, and when we return, you'll hear how we're capitalizing on all of the innovation to drive enduring, profitable growth. And unfortunately, our co-president, Doug Robinson, was unable to join us today. So, for you, you'll be graced by Chana Fernandez a second time for, this, for the second section. Barbara will then bring us home on the financial model, and then we'll invite everyone up on stage for Q&A. And we'll have plenty of time to take your questions here in the room. And for those of you here in Orlando, at the conclusion of the Q&A, we'll also have a networking reception just outside these doors here. So two last things before we get going. First, I just want to recognize that this event takes a lot to put on and would not be possible without the tireless efforts of multiple people, including the fantastic Annie Bowden on the IR team, our designer extraordinaire Kyle Scudder, Daniel Davis in our events team, and lots of other people that have helped put this day forward. One last housekeeping item. This is our safe harbor statement. Today's presentation may contain certain forward-looking statements, Some of the matters we'll be discussing today include forward-looking statements regarding our products, strategies, operations, opportunities, or financial items that are based on the information we have as of today and our current beliefs with respect to the future of our business. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions, and our actual results and financial condition may differ materially from those indicated in the forward looking statements. Further information on risks that could affect our results are included in our most recent filings with the SEC which are available on our IR webpage. Whew. Okay, with that out of the way, it is my privilege to welcome onto the stage our co-founder and co-CEO Anil Bushri.
2: Well, welcome everybody. It's great to see so many familiar faces back in person. Uh, who would have thought the last time we had this event three years ago, we would, it would be another three years. And I would say during the pandemic, I wasn't sure if it was going to be three years or five years or, or seven years. Who knew? Uh, but it's great to be back in person. The world obviously looks very different than it did in 2019. Uh, uh, as we, as we come out of the pandemic, uh, I think, you know, it's, as a CEO and talking to a lot of CEOs, uh, we were all hoping after the pandemic we might get a breather. Uh, and and instead, we've come into this world where there's so much geopolitical uh, stuff going on. Uh, you saw the CPI report today. Uh, we've got inflation. I mean, it's we went from the pandemic to now uh, what looks like a, a tough economic time. So uh, you know, but this is becoming old hat for Workday. We've been around long enough to, to have seen these storms before and and uh, and, and weather them. And uh, all, all we can do is the best we can do. Uh, we're you know we can't we can't uh, control what happens with the overall economy. Uh, we just adjust our business uh, accordingly. Uh, what we do, what we can do, is focus on taking care of our people, which I'm very proud of what we did during COVID. Uh, we we struck the balance of making sure our our employees were safe, but also running running a a solid business during during that period of time. And I think we innovated new ways to take care of our customers. You know, with the example of Walmart and GE, they went live within weeks of each other with not a single person on site. If you had told me before COVID we could do that, wouldn't have believed it. But that's actually become some of our best practice work now is our ability to do a lot of work Remotely, although I will say that I, I, for one, am tired of being on Zoom. Um, uh, what, what we have done—let me just cl- click through this a little bit, just uh, just to show you the the, um, the growth we've had uh, since then. What we have done is really focused on continuing to build the foundation. Uh, during during the last three years, we hired 5,000 people. We didn't freeze. We didn't stop innovating. Uh, it was tougher to innovate because we were in, uh, you know, we're all in different places and we wouldn't get the collaboration that I, I, I'm already seeing it come back really quickly as uh, people are back in the office. I was in Boulder with Chano and the management team last week and our, and our board of directors, and there were 400 people in the office, and you could just feel the energy of people coming back in the office. We'll be more flexible with uh, with uh, how many days people in the office, but we do expect them to, to come back in starting uh, starting in early October. Um, and, and during that period of time, uh, we grew subscription revenues from uh, 2.8 to uh, 5 billion, uh, uh, I mean 80% growth in subscription revenues. And I, I give Chano and Doug a ton of credit, our product folks who continue to build great products. And then our services people really jumped through the hoops. You'll hear from Sherry Rhodes later today to make sure that our customers were still happy and and feeling well taken care of, even though we couldn't be there in person. From a customer momentum perspective, uh you know, HR continues to chug along. I know there's always been questions about how mature is this product line. As we dig deeper into the market, as we dig deeper into the medium enterprise opportunity, which has now become a fairly sizable run rate business, you'll hear more about that later. The international opportunity, now the federal opportunity, uh we still believe there's a ton of ton of room in, in, in HR. Now we are uh, over fifty percent of the Fortune five hundred, so we get invited to all the dances uh, uh, to, to compete, and, and I, you know when we compete, I like our chances to compete. The win rates have remained consistently high uh, during COVID. They were the, there was we had win rates uh, going into COVID. They pretty much stayed that way coming out of COVID. Uh, the big change, though, is financials really started picking up as we started exiting COVID. We had a great uh, second quarter follow, uh, following a, a great first quarter. Obviously, we had big. Salesforce.com win. That was a that was a big one for us. But even American Electric Power is another Fortune 500 company. So we're starting to see, uh, starting to see the uh, the flywheel effects. I spent today with KeyBank, who is now live on Workday Financials, a uh, fairly sizable bank. We're diving deeper into financial services, and there's clearly a roadmap that we can build to really become, I believe, the dominant player for financials in in financial services. and uh you know there's always been this talk and some, sometimes you guys write about it about well back office is going to get put on hold during during the pandemic uh and and maybe again in a recession so the first the first thing i would take issue with is i really just don't see us as back office that is a client server mindset uh when i sit down with a ceo today one of their top 3 or 4 items is always my talent my people my employee engagement and uh, and it all starts with, I've got to change the way I'm running my HR side. I've got to move from administrative to truly being uh, a talent-driven organization. You'll hear about what we're doing with skills. But that is a top five, and you can just look at any survey. So, you know, in, in today's world where we're, we've moved away from an asset-centric world to a people-centric world, I don't believe HR is, is back office. I think it, it is a front office application And the CHRO has a, has a seat at the table with the CEO almost as much as anybody else in the business. And I think similar things are happening with finance. Finance was put under the gun during, uh, COVID. You know, who knew how, how the plans were gonna evolve? Uh, we were changing our plans on a monthly basis. No one, no one had been through this before. And finance had to step up. Now in some cases that meant projects were delayed because they were, they were just trying to keep the lights on. But as we come out of the, out of the pandemic, people realize the, the weaknesses of the legacy systems, the weaknesses of, uh, planning and execution, analytic systems not being connected. Old, old line planning system, old line execution system, they couldn't keep up with the changes in business. And so we're actually seeing people come to market now who have been really cautious before because they realize they can't keep doing business the way that they do. So I, I do think that, uh, uh, that, that, that focus on being mission critical is is really core to who we are these are mission critical systems maybe they're not the the ones that are um the most exciting systems that have been called historically back office but i really think that that has changed and i and i attribute that change and our and our uh strong execution to why we were able to weather the the pandemic the way we did and and why we've been weathering this new economic reality the new economic realities the way we are Uh is going to uh get up now shortly and talk about the market landscape from a customer perspective and a growth strategy. Uh, and I'll be around for questions. Again, great to see so many friendly faces here. Uh, I ho- hope you're all uh, enjoying being in Orlando and being together. This is my first, my first in-person meeting other than our sales kickoff a few months ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a ball, and it is different being able to walk around rather than not being able to move because you can't because the Zoom camera doesn't follow. So um, with that, I'm going to give it to you, Chano.
3: Thank you, Anil. He was telling me he felt a bit rusty on stage, but I don't think so. He's um, you know, he's really authentic. Anyhow, um, as Anil said, great seeing many of you, some of you that have joined us for, for years before. Um, and welcome to all of you. That is the first time that, that are the Financial Analyst Day. I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky to spend significant time talking to customers. Um, and honestly, it's the best part of my job, all of them maybe talking to you. Um, On my countless conversations with customers, what I can tell you is that, um, you know, a lot has evolved in terms of the needs from the customers during the last few years, but there is something that clearly stays there, very strong, and that is, uh, you know, digital transformation remains at the top of their agendas. Um, If you had opportunity to walk the corridors and talk to them, hopefully that that gets reconfirmed, right? Um, And clearly there are a few core challenges that cuts across I would say the C-suite, geographies, and industries. And that is customers are facing tremendous amount of change, you know. And the ability they have in order to need to adapt and be agile is more important than ever. And there is where I feel that we are partnering and supporting them. And they're facing much more complexity as well, which is really impacting the way they're managing their businesses and the way they're managing their workforces too. As I shared uh, share before and, and commented and also this morning, customers are really the driving force behind all the innovation we're building, and we are committing to really helping them to thrive and adapt in the changing world and the changing economy that they're going through. And you know, many of you know, we strive to maintain a 95 percent customer satisfaction rating for our customers, and I'm pleased to announce that in 2022 we did it again, as we have for the last for, for 13 years in a row, which we are very pleased about, because this is why we exist. You know, we exist to provide the right solutions to deliver a great experience for our community of change makers. and that is what is relevant and important to us. So, I want to touch base on a few of the, the growth opportunities as we made. We move to the new next phase, which is to becoming, as you know, um, a $10 billion company and basically ensuring that through that that journey we keep a 20% plus subscription revenue growth. And we covered this last year and last time we were together at that time through Zoom. But I think it is uh, important because these are the drivers that are moving you know, uh, our growth going forward, which we'll cover much more in detail, but as well, the, the strategies and, and the key initiatives we're mainly focused on and what we're driving most of the investments that we're doing. Clearly, office of the CHRO where is strategies to keep winning the core here, right? And keeping and maintaining, expanding our leadership position. When it comes to the office of the CFO, what we're focused on is expanding market share and becoming the dominant player in the services-based industries, and hopefully we'll show you some data later on that will give you a little bit more confidence on the progress that we're having on that journey. International, as we always say, is crucial to driving both Office of the CHRO and Office of the CFO growth, and a key growth vector for us going forward, and today. A medium enterprise remains a very strong fit, and once we're platform, or suite platform as we describe it, Office of the CHRO and Office of the CFO. Is super relevant and is the way those companies are buying. So a few other areas of focus you're going to hear on today, and potentially these are more ones that we have uh, commented less or least on the past, right? We have a massive opportunity to deliver value through our winning partnerships. And if you've been through at the conference, you've been hearing about, you know, industry-driven partnerships, and you've been hearing about the industry accelerators. And those we are building them with our SIs. And, again, that's a great opportunity of growth going forward that Sam will touch base on. So with that, as a high-level setup, let's get more into detail. And I want to welcome on stage uh, Pete uh, Islam, our chief strategy officer. Pete? I just want
4: happy thoughts,
5: happy friends, happy
4: songs, happy love. Just want
5: to dance around up again. Thank you, Chano. And uh, welcome, everybody, to Orlando. Thank you. For coming out here. It is uh, great to be back at our first Financial Analyst Day since 2019. Uh, since then, lots has changed, including, including uh, almost doubling our uh, subscription, subscription revenue uh, since that point. Um, it's amazing to think that we've come that far in just the amount of time uh, since we've been together. Uh, my role is Chief Strategy Officer in the Objective of that is to help us chart the course to ten billion dollars and beyond, as efficiently um, and as quickly uh, as possible. And I got to tell you, it is a great time to be responsible for strategy here at Workday. I wanted to first of all just talk about our opportunity, and our opportunity for truly long-term growth, I believe, is, is uh, pretty incredible. Our opportunity has in fact increased about twenty percent uh, in the last year. To 125 billion dollars so of that approximately 20 billion dollars of expansion let me uh, drill into that just a little bit the majority actually is coming out of the human capital management market uh, which uh, might be uh, a bit of a surprise so let's talk about that a bit so if you go into that uh, that three quarters of uh, of the expansion that comes from HCM About 9% or about 9 billion of that is coming from organic growth of the market itself. And about 6 billion of that is coming from new markets that we've gotten into in the HCM space. If you look at the rest of that, then it's financial management. As you think about the financial management market, the majority of that has been organic growth. And we've spent a lot of time... Uh, improving our product market fit within the financial management market. By the way, I should mention that the financial management market is clearly a larger market to begin with, to, to grow on. Uh, and we've been increasing our product market fit in that market so that we can increase our win rates. So not only is our market opportunity very significant, but we are, according to Gartner, the market share leader in cloud-based ERP uh, from a revenue standpoint coming in at 19.1%. And As you look at those three uh, top uh, companies up there, we are the only one of those three that is gaining share according to Gartner. So that's the cloud ERP market. Gartner also, of course, measures uh, who's a leader in the market. Uh, We have been lucky enough to be the leader year after year in cloud human capital management suites. Uh, they also have a new uh, magic uh, quadrant this year as well. We are a leader as um, in the uh, service-centric ERP space as well. And as we speak, Gartner is in the process of delivering a new planning magic quadrant as well. So, opportunity, opportunity, Share leadership from an innovation, vision, and execution standpoint. And the result of that is we get to have massive scale as a business. I thought this was a really interesting uh, view of our business. If you think about now, we announced uh, that we have 60 million users using Workday on a regular basis. And so if you look at Okta's At Work report, which, measure, which measures unique logins into software if you look at the enterprise software players we are second only to microsoft uh, 365 which is pretty incredible so you can see what we have to uh, handle from a scale standpoint from a uh, from the infrastructure but also this has implications on what we're going to be able to do and build going forward when it comes to data and it plays right into our the points of leverage that we look at uh, in our business model so let's talk about that. Our business model is thriving, uh, and it is because we look at these points of leverage that we can take. And it begins with what we do at the core. Fundamentally, what Workday does is we take offline processes and we digitize them. And what we do is we look for processes that are common processes across different industries, and that we can leverage those across customers within industries, And if customers have differences between their different businesses we ask them to uh, configure not customize that allows us to kind of stamp it out once and apply it over and over and over again we win once we have that we win systems of record those systems of record are very sticky for our customers they are the heart of uh, of the customer's data they are the digital System or record of truth of what's happening in their physical world. Once we have a customer, we focus maniacally on, uh, on their customer success. And you'll see that today if you have a chance to go and, uh, speak to our customers at Rising. Just, uh, just ask a couple of them and you'll see how much we focus on their success. That comes through our CX organization. We make sure that it comes through with our partners. It also comes through in our focus on our user experience as well. We want them to love Workday and, uh, and continue to come back to us. We build our products on a single platform. From a technology standpoint, that's fantastic. One of the big benefits of that is a single data model. So all the data goes into a single data model across all of those applications. That allows us also to build applications that work better together than they do standalone. That's a big differentiator for us. It also, if you think about it from a data model standpoint, allows us to leverage this data, and I'll talk about that in a second. As all of these applications work, as all these transactions happen, we record it uh, in uh, in the Workday service. And when we do that, we can leverage that data to build better applications, but also to do machine learning on it. And when we're able to do machine learning on it, we're able to do a few things. One is provide better personalized experiences, better insights, more automated workflows. Finally, when we get all the way up this step, all the way up these points of leverage, we get to a point where our customers love us. We've got the best applications, the best data. We've earned the right to sell more products back to those customers. So let's talk about the office of the CHRO for a second. A couple areas that we think that we are uniquely different in the office of the CHRO. First of all, starting with the fact that we are the most trusted brand in HR software. Over 50% of the Fortune 500 are now using Workday as their core system of record for HR. And as you get higher up the stack in the Fortune 100, Fortune 50, etc., that percentage actually gets higher. And, again, we really focus on that because we believe our customers are our best marketers and our best salespeople. Our customers trust us. They come to events like Rising, and they want to hear about what the new things are that they can uh, use. What's the new value that they can get out of Workday? We also have the broadest portfolio of HR software that I mentioned together works be- before works better together. We have the world's most scalable people data cloud. We talked about today having over 1,500 customers live on the skills cloud and over 5.7 billion verified skills on the skills cloud. Nobody comes close. Nobody touches that. And that innovation goes into our products like recruiting and learning, the talent marketplace and other products in the future. And we did that by building an ML foundation, a machine learning foundation underneath that uh, will allow us to add more ML in the future, like the Skills Cloud, that uh, will be very hard to replicate in the space. So as I mentioned, we focus on landing those core systems of record, those, those core HCM wins. But once we do that, we're able to then... Uh, invest, sell more of our uh, of our other products and invest in making those products better. I'll talk, for instance, about recruiting where we are becoming an industry standard, but we still see significant opportunity ahead. So we have just announced two new products in this space, uh, candidate engagement and messaging, candidate engagement. Think of it as like CRM for recruiting. So we get to add more products even into these subproduct spaces. Learning. Where we are quickly becoming an industry leader, we're opening up new opportunities there with our connected learning platform by introducing Cloud Connect for Learning. Uh, This is a business that is driving significant new attach rates because companies are investing so much in reskilling their employees right now. And then the talent optimization uh, market. We are leveraging that skills foundation that we had to create one of the fastest growing SKUs that we have ever had at Workday. As I mentioned, over 1,500 customers today uh, using the talent optimization product. And this is only half the story. Just earlier this year, in February, we closed the acquisition of Vendly, which enabled us to bring in the extended workforce into uh, into this sphere. Now, the extended workforce, those are contingent workers, gig workers, statement of work uh, type of labor. And as macro conditions change, workers want more flexibility. Employers want more flexibility as well. And projections are that nearly half of the U.S. workforce by 2027 is going to be the extended workforce. So now Workday is the one system of record for all of your full-time, hourly, and extended workforce, and we can sell our products back into that uh, population as well. We're increasingly pursuing innovation uh, to address the frontline workers, and that includes things like payroll and time tracking, absence management, scheduling, and that's enabling us to go into markets, areas that have, High frontline worker uh, counts, areas like the UK, France, Germany, and Australia, as well as industries like, uh, like retail, hospitality, healthcare, and manufacturing. You're going to see a lot more of this in the presentation from David and Terrence in just a little while. Okay, let's switch over to the office of the CFO. The headline here is we are... All in on industry if you heard us this morning you heard us talk about industry 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 and that is what's really driving our uh, our growth inside the office of the CFO we are leading in the service based industries those industries where people are at the center of their business and having the proximity to our human capital management system is a huge benefit when it comes to selecting the financial management products. We also have focused on building a system where planning, execution, and that's the, the transactional part of the system, and analysis are together in a single system, enabling customers to do that cycle. We like to say everybody plans. Everybody does plan, execute, uh, analyze. And having that in a single system, being able to make those cycles faster is a huge benefit and a differentiator for us in our space. You heard Chano talk about our value proposition and how important adaptability is right now. Change is coming at businesses everywhere. And having a system that enables our customers to change is incredibly important for them. And so we, especially on the office of the CFO, it's important that we, that, uh, that our products are easily changeable. When something changes, customers can make, uh, changes to the, our product in hours not weeks or months and finally the composability of our platform is also a large differentiator when I say composability I mean the ability to take other clouds and connect them together with the workday system and that is by using products like extend and prism and adaptive that composability enables our customers to bring together data from the back office, the middle office, and the front office all together in a single system, giving CFOs visibility into the entire business. So this is an example of the financial services industry, being able to, for instance, take policy and claims data, loans, deposits, and credit cards, pull that in via accounting center, gives the CFO visibility across the entire landscape of the business. And so this morning, we announced industry accelerators from Workday. And what those are, is it's our way to involve our GSI partners as well as our ISV ecosystem to drive more value for our customers on an industry basis. And our key partners in this that we announced today, Accenture, Deloitte, KPMG, and PwC, are all in with us. They're bringing their industry expertise into this, uh, into this program. What are they? Three part Three parts of the program. One is we want to accelerate the CFO's transition to the cloud. And so we're taking all the expertise that we've had, for years within those industries and our partners have had within those industries and essentially making templates, uh, package services, solutions, etc., to allow our customers to move to the cloud faster. That's one. Two, the software ecosystem are creating specialized connectors to the different clouds and on-premises systems to essentially make that front, middle, and back office connect faster. And three, a set of industry specific solutions that we are developing but also our partners are developing and our customers are developing uh, together that essentially make it a better fit for their industry. So this all accounts for, uh, it all comes down to a better focus on industry. And you heard in our last earnings call uh, a few weeks ago, uh, our us getting to the point where we have our first uh, industry where we have a billion dollar run rate in our subscription revenue, which is financial services. But this is the first. We think about it as the first. We've got a few more that are right behind it. Again, those very service-centric industries, healthcare, government, professional services, and education, and then as we continue to move on, we'll see the other industries that we focus a lot on in, uh, with our human capital management uh, solutions, tech and media, retail and hospitality, government transportation so let's talk uh, just for a second about M&A but I'm going to be a little bit um, uh, I'm not going to give you exactly what you want I'm going to start by saying our primary focus at workday is to innovate organically everything I just told you about about how we build things uh, together products work better together, et cetera, that happens because we focus on organic innovation. You're gonna hear from Cheyenne and Terrence and David talk about that in a little while. But in certain cases, in a few cases, we do pursue M&A uh, where we can get into a market faster, there's a technology that's unique, or we need to deepen our expertise in a certain industry vertical. A couple examples. So with Platfora and with Stories, we were able to take technology Bring that in and that yielded businesses for us like prism accounting center people analytics TCON, voice of the employee benly extended workforce those were markets that had gotten uh, they had gotten a head start we looked at them they were ahead of us we weren't going to be able to get to where they were in time so we said those were the right acquisitions for us in those two spaces or you could look at zimit which helped us in the professional services industry because that is, uh, that is a, a service-based CPQ or configure price quoting system. So we are very specific. There's a high bar when we decide to do M&A. And again, you know, the culture needs to be right, the talent needs to be right, the product has to be right, the team has to be right. Uh, there's a high bar there. So uh, we are, as you can uh, hopefully tell from uh, my talk, we're really excited about our long-term opportunities. We feel like we have great sustainable differentiation, these points of leverage that are going to serve us well for some time and an expanding opportunity for us to take advantage of. So now I'm going to turn it over to Cheyenne, uh, who's going to talk about how we're investing in our applications and our technology. Thanks very much.
6: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Since the last time we've met, I've taken on a new role leading all of product and technology at Workday and I thought some of the key reasons that we took P&T and made it P&T are really salient to the conversation we're having today. A lot of what we need to do going forward involves cross-cutting initiatives that touch both the platform and and the applications. In fact, all of our most critical initiatives span both technology and product teams. And increasingly, the lines between our applications and our platform are becoming blurred. We're delivering and will be delivering um, applications that fall outside of traditional enterprise boundaries. We're talking more about that in a minute, but overall, we believe that by bringing these teams together, we'll see increased alignment, increased efficiency, and greater leverage. Pete just spoke about our significant market expansion opportunities across a number of growth vectors, and how we're uniquely positioned, whether by industry, by geography, or by persona. We've grown by every measure, and some of that success is because we've never been content to stand still with our platform. Workday's always been focused both on what we need now and what we need in the future. What's going to carry us to $10 billion and what's going to carry us beyond that. Our fundamental goal is to make Workday the preferred business operating platform for the present and future to support our customers in their continued success. We've evolved our architecture to the point where it supports some of the largest customers in the world, more than 60 million users on the platform, and it's growing. And the great thing about our architecture is that because of some of the foundational decisions that we made right at the start, we've been able to continue to evolve to meet every challenge we face so far, and to do so in a way that really hasn't been disruptive to our customers so I'd like to take a quick look at what we got right from the start how we create a platform that's built for change and illustrate these founding principles that are still at the heart of our incredibly exciting journey we began in the cloud and as we all know in those days the public cloud was immature so we built our own data centers to deliver a best-in-class service to our customers we started with an in-memory object model, and that was different than anything our competitors were doing at the time. And that approach has given us a lot of advantages down the road. By deeply integrating business processes into the platform, we gave our customers flexibility and adaptability to solve their current problems, but also future problems. By deeply integrating machine learning into the platform, instead of making it a feature or an application, We gave every customer the ability to improve and speed their decision-making. This is all at the heart of what we refer to as our intelligent data core. And that's where we integrate data, security, workflow, and processing together, and we've done that from the very beginning. We've also placed all customers on a single code line. That ensures that everyone is running the exact same version of Workday everywhere. They're updated all the time and no customer was left behind, and there are no disruptive upgrades. We are also reliable, with a best-in-class SLA at 99.7 and an actual measured performance year-to-date of 99.97. We're scalable. We serve, as I mentioned, over 60 million users right now, and over 440 billion transactions a year, and that's growing by 67% year over year. We're performant. Over 96% of all transactions in a workday complete in less than a second. And our user experience is ambient. We're accessible from wherever you are. So that's the web, and that's native mobile, of course, but that's also SMS, or it can be in natural workspaces like Teams or Slack. And of course, we're secure. Security is paramount at Workday. All Workday apps are governed under a common configurable security model, and our cloud experience is governed by privacy and security foremost. Our architecture has evolved as our, excuse me. <laughs> our architecture has evolved as our customers and their needs have grown and changed. Well, it might be recognizable from afar to somebody in 2005. It's unrecognizable in the detail now. We've converted our monolithic structure into horizontally scaled microservices. That's improved resilience and performance. We've also integrated our acquired solutions like planning and analytics to handle these workloads that our original architecture wasn't optimized for. And all this has happened and continues to happen behind the scenes. It's ideally without our customers ever really noticing unless and until they tap into our latest features and see the benefits from this ongoing commitment to innovation. By any metric you want to consider, so that's number of customers, it's number of users, numbers of transactions, our data under management, we continue to grow all while supporting and innovating for our customers. The existential question we asked ourselves at the founding of Workday was, can we effectively deliver a cloud platform for managing the money and people of the world's largest and most demanding companies? And over the last 17 years, we've answered that question again and again with a resounding yes. So now we have to answer a different question. How do you build on this success, not be complacent, and continue to be transformative? And so in this next phase, we will do that by providing nonlinear leverage, both for Workday and for our customers, by harnessing our own innovation and the innovation across the industry. Our customers have firsthand experienced the benefits of the evolution of our products and technology, but now they get to experience a revolution that builds on that. Our one evolution was offering our customers the ability to leverage a public cloud alongside of our own data centers. But the revolution will be public cloud first, where we blend the innovations that Workday delivers with the continuous innovation from our public cloud partners. And the public cloud provides us with unique advantages. It makes global expansion easier. It allows our customers to more easily meet local or regional data residency requirements. And it decreases Workday's own capital expenditures and Our time to market. The public cloud maximizes the effectiveness of our solutions as well. These hard boundaries of specific applications fitting specific categories are blurring. Our unique architecture allows us to build apps that combine different kinds of workloads, and it more effectively solves our customers' business problems. And public cloud helps us deploy, optimize, and scale these applications more effectively. It also gives us access to technology that strengthens many of our own offerings. In many cases, we can replace components that we used to develop ourselves with public cloud options. It's, you know, the key innovation of yesterday becomes the undifferentiated heavy lifting of tomorrow. And we are able to move our own development resources forward. You've all seen today evolution in how we've launched Workday Extend to put the power of our own development platform into our customers and partners' hands. They can build their own applications for their specific needs, but with the same look and feels Workday, they can leverage our security model, our business process flows, and it allows them to operate with much higher speed, better security, and lower cost than alternatives. Already we have over 750 applications built on Extend, allowing customers to Reduce or simplify their technology footprint, to address immediate or novel problems, or to differentiate their business operationally or culturally. With Extend, they also get Workday Orchestrate, and that allows them to drive complex business processes into Workday, or drive complex business processes out of Workday. You've probably also heard our announcement today. About Workday App Builder, which provides that same set of extend capabilities to the business user, not just the developer. Our revolution is going to be an API first platform, opening up many, many more possibilities for customers and partners to use Workday as a fundamental building block of their enterprise. And finally, machine learning. You've seen our evolution since the beginning. Workday has always built ML into the fabric of our platform with capabilities like Skills Cloud. From the outset, we realized that ML was not a feature. It wasn't an application. It was actually a transformation of the traditional software paradigm. And the revolution will be that we'll take this to its logical conclusion. ML will be at the heart of everything we do. This is going to enable our customers, of course, to make better decisions faster. But it also allows us to use ML to... Optimize, secure, and operate our own service. And we'll do all of this while staying true to our founding values. We'll make sure that these technologies augment and enable people. They reduce bias rather than perpetuating it. All of these revolutions will show you how we continue to deliver on our promise to innovate on behalf of all of our customers. We've evolved our platform while holding true to the central principles that are unique to Workday and have been essential in our success to date. And now we're embarking on a revolutionary journey, allowing our customers to get far more out of Workday as a platform, leveraging it as an essential foundation for how they operate their enterprise. With that, I think I've set the stage for how our customers are taking advantage of the capabilities we provide them, and that doesn't matter whether that's in financials, HR, planning, analytics, procurement, or beyond. So I'm going to hand it over to our group GM of financials, Terence Wopler. Thanks Terence. All
7: right, thank you folks. So uh, I'm Terence Wampler. I'm the group GM for our OCFO product area. I've been uh, at Workday for three years now, but I was at Oracle for 25 years before that building uh, financial software. So over the next few minutes, what I want to do with you guys is kind of introduce you to our product strategy or our vision for what we want to do around our OCFO Buying Center. I want to talk to you about a few key product innovations that we're delivering, and then I also want to give you a few customer success stories. Uh, So with that, let's get started. So the first thing we want to talk about is um, we have our vision, and our vision is to unlock the potential of the processes, people, and data for every CFO. Now, what we mean by that is we basically want to help finance evolve into a high-functioning, collaborative team that the business trusts and respects. We move them into a strategic advisor role out of kind of that transaction operator role. Now, the way that we're going to do that is by a simple four-part product strategy. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to meet our customers where they are. What that means for us is some of what Pete talked about. We're going to go really deep in industry. And the way we're going to go deep in industry is a combination of building out very specific industry features within our product set. And second, by making sure that we integrate to industry-specific ISVs in a meaningful way that our customers can use and that shows we understand their IT ecosystem as we go forward. The second thing we're going to do is enable organizational agility. And we're going to do that by allowing them to adapt to change. And we'll talk about some of the ways that works inside our system. Third is we're going to deliver trusted business intelligence or business insight. And we're going to do that by making sure that we can unite data across the customer's ecosystem in a meaningful way for them. And finally, we're going to create intelligent business processes by essentially infusing them with machine learning and making sure that we can eliminate risk and all manual intervention as we go through and do it. Okay, so Cheyenne had referred to Workday as a fundamental building block for our customers' enterprise. One of the really neat things about our architecture is that we can use those building blocks to actually build out across industries. And let's talk about how we're going to do that. So first, as we automate most of this back office processing, finance can then focus on the analysis of the middle and front offices. And the middle office is kind of where the magic's at. So that's where they're going to be able to do their cost and profitability analysis. This is where they're going to be able to do their risk management, this is where they're gonna be able to do revenue optimization. This is even where they're gonna do some business modeling and figure out what they might do and where they might grow. And of course that front office is gonna be where the industry specific applications, the ISV solutions usually, they're, they're the customer facing things that we have. So as we go forward, one of the things you'll see is the middle office is where finance can be a little bit more strategic and it gets really industry specific really fast. But we think that we're really well positioned to support this middle office revolution. And we think we can do that because we have a set of product capabilities by industry within these solutions that are middle office, but we also have the ability with our intelligent data hub to be able to deliver um, virtual ledgers and other things for these customers. Now, Cheyenne had talked about the idea that with our intelligent data core, our partners, as well as our customers, can actually blend data, and they can even build out their own applications in this uh, kind of middle office. So some examples around that is we had PWC build out funds transfer pricing for banking. We've had Workday Services build out net patient revenue for hospitals, and we even had Huron build out demand planning for professional services. So some good examples about how we're building, plus we're partnering with our ISVs and our SIs to actually get these comprehensive industry solutions for the OCFO. Now, to illustrate some very specific examples of what we're investing in uh, within product, let's talk about a few examples. So first is for professional services and there we're building out CPQ for services. So think about this as like, a guided selling solution where I'm going to be able to figure out pricing, quoting, that sort of in an automated way. And because it's for services, what I want you guys to imagine is a really complex statement of work that somebody does on a project being highly automated in how you build it out, just like you might for a product CPQ. Another example is in healthcare and we're building out mobile inventory user experience. This is where a nurse or another first responder can basically order or at least check inventory levels for really important things like medicine or medical supplies. And they do it on their phone because nobody has time to actually go to a laptop or something else. And then finally, we're making a big investment around subscription management. And this is where you're going to be able to go construct your innovative product offerings because you're looking for that continuous revenue model and you want to be able to have that recurring model happen. And so let's take a little bit of a dive into what that solution looks like. So first, today, virtually every industry is either moving to adopt or at least incorporate a subscription model into their business, right? And so as these people try to figure out this predictable recurring revenue and build that model, they're gonna need a subscription management solution. So while this is going to be targeted at first for some specific industries, we think this will apply to lots of places that might have embedded services or other things in their business. Now, as as they do this, you can see here, we're going to have the ability to see their new customers, new subscriptions, their renewals, their average contract value and other things. But also remember that we're going to be adding some of that um, intelligence, some of that machine learning. And we're going to be able to drive things like take action on revenue, take action on billing, help you with forecasting of collection activities. All right. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is details around enabling uh, the agility in your organization. And one key for us to be able to do that is our adaptable cloud architecture and a great example for us is in our planning solution so what's happened here is we have customers that are modeling lots of dimensions and doing lots of things over time but we now have customers that are modeling huge complex models up to hundred thousand levels or planning activities as they do it and we also have customers that are doing planning around workforce management And they're modeling this around hundreds of thousands of employees. So it has a high scale and companies can do a lot of adoption. And to kind of illustrate this agility at scale in action, I want to give you a reference. So Team Car Care, who is the largest Jiffy Lube uh, franchisor, they have about 500 stores and around 5,000 employees. Well, they're basically using our predictive planning capability to forecast how many guests per day, per half hour increment, they're going to have in their stores. And the way they're increasing accuracy is by merging historical guest data and guest visits with external data like weather. And then they can predict how people will come into the office. And you can imagine that affects workforce scheduling as well as it has financial repercussions. It also has them think about business models about how to entice people in on days that might be slow with some sort of incentive or discount. So really powerful stuff and how to be agile in terms of what you're building. Okay. Now, we think a key to improving the lives of finance, we're going to unleash the potential of their people. So we think a key to improving the lives of finance professionals is to be able to provide them with accurate, timely information that they trust. So this is all about unleashing the potential of that data that's usually already curated by finance. And we think this starts with a unified reporting platform where the enterprise and operational data is connected to that people and finance details. And we think we're really well suited to do that. Now, another good example to give you a customer case of this is one of our customers in the trucking industry. Now they provide local long distance and international uh, move so- services. One of the things they've done is they've leveraged our prison analytics solution to basically mix data from their fleet management, their billing system, their customer satisfaction and even their operation systems to basically generate a general manager dashboard that works for each of their depots. But what's really nice about this is now these managers can view a profit and loss by each driver. And with this, they can determine which drivers are most profitable. They can figure out and make recommendations on whether that driver should lease or buy the truck. And then they can even figure out whether drivers should be able to receive an advance on their pay as they go. So improving employee satisfaction, profitability, all those kind of things. Now, Workday Accounting Center has been at the core of our intelligent data model here for a while. We introduced this in 2021. Uh, and it was primarily a solution for our financial services organizations as they're trying to bring loan data or other business data into their accounting environment and need a, a better, uh, more powerful way to do that. But we're about a year and a half later now, and we have almost 100 customers. And they're mostly large enterprise customers, and they're across about seven industries that, that we're talking about. And to give you guys some data points about what's happening here, Fannie Mae, they've processed around 350 billion rows of loan data through our accounting center already. And then in another example, Sharp Healthcare, they've taken their medical records system and they've paired that with some of the people in finance data and Workday, and now they have visibility into their entire patient revenue process at a nice level. And so that's that middle office kind of merging with that data core that we're talking about. Okay, now finally what we're gonna to get to is our intelligent business process. We're at Workday taking a very holistic approach to how we're going to enable this intelligent automation and we're going to do it through the entire life cycle of a transaction and we're going to do it across all key flows. So it's pervasive for us in what we're doing. And by doing so, we're not only going to be able to automate these business transactions so that they accurately process what themselves, but we're also going to provide recommendations on what might need to be changed in configuration, policy or even a transaction. So we have a combination of things where we have automated transactions. So think about things like journals or expense receipts or purchase orders or invoices in cash applications. But we also have recommendation solutions. So things like journal insights that will identify anomalies in accounting patterns or expense protect, which actually looks for fraud in expense items. And more importantly, we're actually really excited to be looking at additional use cases. So things like self-reconciling accounts or predictive planning, or supplier contract reviews, or even flux analysis. So we think that's great. And we see incredible adoption and interest from our customers in these solutions. So we're getting a lot, of, uh, a lot of help, and we're getting the models to be built out because we're using a lot more data. Okay, so we really think these innovations that I spoke of are helping usher in a new era of finance for our customers. And we think we're going to be able to unlock the potential of the people, processes, and data of every CFO. All right. David, with that, I'll turn it over to you for CHRO.
8: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm David Summers. I'm the group general manager for the Office of the CHRO products here at Workday. And my background is in innovation through startups, and I joined Workday four years ago through the acquisition of my company, Rally Team. Uh, And it takes an innovation mindset to really leverage the Workday platform capabilities that Cheyenne just walked everybody through a bit ago. These have changed. There we go. And that's exactly what we've done in my group in the office of the CHRO to execute on our mission, which is to create the future of work. And we've not only built what our customers need to adapt and evolve today, but what they rely on to revolutionize the way they hire, develop and optimize their talent. As you've heard today, we are the market leader in the HCM space, and that affords us a unique opportunity to really expand our footprint across our customer base. And today I want to dive a little bit further into a few of those opportunities for you. First, with Skills Cloud and the product innovation and growth that surrounds that. Second, empowering the frontline worker and the manager. And finally, expanding our scope from beyond the traditional workforce to the extended workforce. Here at Workday, we believe that skills are the foundation for the future of work. And it's because of the Workday platform that we're able to put skills at the center of everything we do. With our continued investment in machine learning-enabled applications, we've seen significant momentum and adoption across our customer base. We have over 1,300 customers live today on Skills Cloud. And since its launch in 2000, or sorry, 2018, The use of skills has grown from roughly 25 million instances across all customer tenants to more than 5.7 billion today. And our customers use this data to understand the capabilities of their workforce and run their business. So we've accelerated our roadmap and we've delivered product features like recommended skills on jobs and skill assessments. If you listen to the keynote this morning, made a big announcement. We've opened up our Workday Skills Cloud and we've delivered a set of APIs and pre-built ontology mappings that allow for a bi-directional flow of skills with third-party systems. With Workday, customers can make skills the foundation for their entire talent strategy. In fact, we're the only vendor who can really do this. Um, And to do this, you need more than just a list of skills. You actually need a robust and scalable skills infrastructure. You need skills and machine learning capabilities actually embedded within all of your application footprint. You need sophisticated annotation technology. And finally, you need performant tooling to review and manage things like skill mappings. Skills also drive many of the application innovations and growth here at Workday. An example of this is in talent optimization. We're revolutionizing the way people manage their careers. And up until now, careers have been defined by HR teams really from the top down. Our talent optimization solution creates a connected talent experience, linking skill development to career opportunities. This really shifts the dynamic and puts career pathing back into the hands of the employee. Once again, if you listen to the keynote, we're actually gonna take this one step further. We're bringing all employee performance data and feedback data into a continuous agile performance process. This will give managers a more active role in developing and coaching their teams, enabling more meaningful one-on-ones and positively affecting things like employee attrition. And not to steal Chano's thunder, but there's so much momentum with our talent optimization solutions. It's one of our fastest growing products ever and we're just getting started. And we've also leaned into our market leadership in HCM to become the market leader in recruiting with nearly 75% of our customer base using Workday Recruiting today. But there's so much more opportunity in the broader recruiting market and we're expanding our roadmap even further. With the addition of new products like candidate engagement and messaging, we're providing a powerful way to personalize recruitment marketing activities and really open up the communication channels between recruiters and candidates. Another long-standing market that's being transformed with the advent of skills is that of learning. Delivering learning based on current skill levels, business needs, and career aspirations makes it more relevant and impactful for both the learner and the organization and we're quickly becoming a leader in learning and we're really taking advantage of the current market disruption with the legacy vendors in that space. We've seen significant momentum in this area as well and we now have more than 2,000 learning customers. Over the last few years we've seen firsthand how critical the frontline workforce is to business continuity. So we've continued to innovate and deliver new products like scheduling and labor optimization. These products leverage AI at their core, and we can generate things like optimal shift schedules that match worker preferences with business constraints and Workday HCM and finance, and even third-party systems. Workday is uniquely Position to support the frontline worker. Everything from tactical check-in, check-out, to shift swapping, and the ability to get paid when they need it, all all with an effortless, intuitive experience. And everything is tuned to the modality that they use most, mobile. And our workforce management investments in time tracking, absence, and scheduling are also key for industry growth into retail and hospitality as well as manufacturing. And we continue to expand our global payroll capabilities along with regionalizing HCM features in places like Germany and Australia to gain more market traction. And over time, we expect to enhance regional and global features in these areas along with deepening our partner relationships in major markets, which Sam will talk about here in just a bit. And finally, the extended workforce is a key strategic lever that's becoming more and more important to many of our customers. With Vinly now fully integrated into Workday HCM, we're enabling our customers to streamline sourcing and management of their contingent freelance and outsourced talent. Today, Workday acts as a hub, triggering downstream systems and reporting for visibility and insight. And our new-term roadmap includes enabling direct sourcing, extended labor, and assigning required learning, as well as connecting skills and talent mobility programs. And as we continue to expand the product, we'll infuse machine learning across the Binley application. This will allow customers to determine the optimal path for hiring talent, either full-time or contingent, based on real-time labor costs and skill availability. Our strategy for the office of the CHRO is well aligned with our customers' most pressing needs. With our investments in Workday's skills platform, focus on empowering the frontline workers and managers, and expanding beyond the traditional workforce to the extended workforce, this really puts us on a solid growth trajectory. And with that, we're gonna head into a five-minute break. And when we return, you're going to hear about how we're capitalizing on all of this great innovation that we just talked about. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, our meeting will resume in one minute. One minute. Thank you. Welcome, Chief Customer Officer, Sherry Rhodes.
9: So I'm Sherry Rhodes, uh, Workday's Chief Customer Officer, which actually means uh, customer success, Workday professional services, support, and education. Um, and I've actually had the good fortune of also being a customer and a practitioner of Workday, previously at Western Union, at Symantec, and most recently as Workday's CIO. So I took this role. So from a customer experience perspective, we have over 16,000 certified resources in our network that know how to deliver workday value. 95% customer satisfaction, actually, and Neil talked about that in the keynote for 13 years and running, especially in these changing environments. And also 95% on-time deployment, which we feel really proud of between our partners and ourselves from a workday professional services standpoint. So the evolving customer service experience has changed. We had the pandemic, we have adapting customer needs, and we just have changing business. So we're really focused on evolving that in three primary ways. One is on just rebuilding customer intimacy. So we're doing that in three ways. One, we have as strategic executive sponsors on hundreds of our key accounts and we're reconnecting with those customers. We have in-person conferences resuming, Rising obviously being one of them, which uh, we were truly excited about amongst a number of other marketing events. And then we have the sales partnership. We've spent a lot of time in the last 12 months making sure that best practices, processes, and tools between service and sales so the sales to service handoff is smooth. And that brings us to flexibility of our customer needs. So during the pandemic, two years, we were delivering mostly in a virtual mode as well as hybrid. Now we have virtual hybrid in person. So it's really up to customers' preference in terms of how we deploy our services. And then also education. For two years, we were virtual only. So we're back into in-person classes or online or hybrid. So we have options for our customers. It's really their choice. And then the evolving business model. So we have a wrapper service we call Workday Success Plans that includes advanced services such as advisory services, architecture support, so it's really wrapping the customer for the life cycle of their relationship. And then two, we have a whole new community experience coming on board, which is our digital online portal. And so that comes out in November. It's really combining knowledge management, support, and collaboration for our customers all in one place so they don't have to go to multiple front doors. And actually our volume in the digital community has grown 45% just in the last few months. So we see an uptick of users there as well. So we have proven methodologies. We have launch, which is our prescriptive methodology, as well as your way, which is more customized depending on more complex customers. And Launch has really taken off. We have over 500 customers that have been touched by Launch since we went live a couple of years ago. And it's a really good savings from a customer perspective. We have 35 to 40% time to deployment as well as cost savings. So we really see an uptick in our medium enterprise business, but also we see that our large enterprise customers are embracing that as well because it comes with a pre-configured kind of baseline tenant so, customers don't have to overthink their processes. And it's worldwide, which is great, and we deploy to multiple countries, including um, Malaysia, Japan. There's multiple countries that have been enhanced this year as well. So, really, that brings me to customer satisfaction will always be the goal, but we're at an inflection point with our customers. We're constantly growing as a base, and so it means we need to look at things differently. And that's where my partner, Sam's going to come in and talk about our new partner organization.
10: Good afternoon. My name is Sam Alcarat. I'm the new chief partner officer for Workday. What does that mean, you might ask? Um, I think you've heard over the last uh, hour or so lots of sound bites about our partners and how they thread across our entire engagements. So you've heard Pete talk about working with partners for our package solutions, you've heard how we co-innovate together, you've heard how we go to market together a little bit and then we talked about innovation and now Sherry just shared with you the evolution of our customer experience. We feel the evolution of our customer experience has to go hand in hand with the evolution of our partner ecosystem. Our partners have always played a critical role in every step of the engagement in earning trust and delivering value to our customers. We want to continue to do that, and we want to accelerate it going forward. So in my role as chief partner officer, I'm focused on enabling a strategy and executing and operationalizing how we engage with our partners in order for them to bring value at every step of the journey for our customers and accelerate the workday value as well. But before I get there, I've been on board for about five months, and I just wanted to share with you a couple of observations as I talk to customers and as I talk to partners. First of all, I just want to say that all of our partners are all in on Workday. Every single partner I talk to sees Workday as a Tier 1 partner and a Tier 1 solution in their portfolio, which means we can grow together. We're relevant. We move the needle together. And I think that's really important. But they're looking to do more with us. They want to be able to build new solutions with us on our platform. They want to be able to drive down industry depth with us and increase the solutions. They want to sell with us, and they want to go to market with us in so many ways. And ultimately, they want to increase the level of capacity and consulting and be able to drive more services into the customer base. But when I talk to customers it really resonates because it's very, very well aligned what they're looking for. So our customers are looking for higher level of SI capacity. They're looking for more industry depth. They're looking for faster time to value. And they have an increasing need of app and platform integrations. So the two agendas really, really align very well. And then as I spend more time with the executive team, everybody's leaning in to drive an unmatched partner experience of our new program going forward. So let me tell you a little bit about our strategy, which is really three differentiating capabilities anchored with one unified partner program. The first area I want to talk about is the innovation area. You've heard a lot about that today. You've heard from Cheyenne around how we'd have a public cloud, API first. You've heard about ISVs. You've heard about Office of the CFO. You've heard about industry accelerators. All of those really come in from a co-innovation perspective. We can accelerate our innovation vector with partners, because they have deep industry experience, and they offer our customers connectivity. They can connect, integrate, and build new applications in our platform, and we're starting to see that happening. You've heard 750 applications on extend and Accelerating. You've seen, we've announced yesterday, the industry accelerators with our partners. That's just the beginning. We're seeing a tremendous acceleration of that, and ultimately, where that really matters is that it drives consumption of Workday. And that's really important, because once you land, you consume, you're more sticky, and you expand. And I think that's what solutions do for you. And they solve more complex problems and use cases, especially when you talk about things like the office of the CFO. The second area is our partners want to grow with us, which means they want to launch co-sell, resell programs. They want to go into international markets with us. They want to have the ability to go to customers and sell together, So recently we started with uh, AWS. You've heard about the public cloud um, uh, first strategy, especially for our net new customers. We're starting to co-sell with AWS, and we're seeing some tremendous um, welcoming from the customer base and the net new base. So there's migrations, and then there's also net new. And what we're seeing is that it's much easier for the customers to be able to make a decision when the solution and the, the selling motion is integrated that's going to drive more land motion for us and it's going to drive higher velocity of net new logos so that capability is super important and then finally when we talk about services that's something our ecosystem has traditionally done very very well in delivering to our customers and delivering to the expectations of our customers but that requires now higher level of investments in education in certifications in being able to get partners into the system and onboard them very, very quickly into production. The faster and the more efficient we can do that and the better experience we can provide, the better we can do the first two, which is innovate and sell together. So that machinery is all now anchored into a partner program, which we also announced earlier this morning. So our new partner program is set to launch next year. We'll be, we'll be unifying a lot of these motions. We'll bring in our channel, ISV, service partners, uh, CSPs and, and, and cloud service providers and our software partners all into a single program. We will drive tracks and tiers and we will make sure there's performance metrics that drives competency for our customers. Ultimately, we do see the demand to double the consulting capacity in the market over the next two years. That will drive a lot more adoption of Workday and a lot more advocacy for Workday as well. So that's, in short, the strategy. I hope this is helpful. Um, there's a lot more to come uh, in this area, and um, I just have to say, like, being five months here, it's, it's, it really feels good, and it feels like this is a, a great opportunity for us to transform our partner landscape. Thank you for listening, and may I invite Chano back to stage?
3: Thank you, Sam. Um, it's great having you here driving and accelerating our sales efforts through the channel partner strategy and it's great to be working with you again so that's all fantastic all right so what am i covering today so I'm, we're going to be focusing on our growth vectors um how are those impacting basically strategy and, and you know we're making them tangible and hopefully they, they will provide some good insights for you and, and some questions later on i'm sure the first one is uh, um, clearly our largest uh, growth vector today is uh, broadening land opportunity. This is still our biggest one, as I say. So it's still landing new customers today. For some of you that were here um, in our last in-person analyst conference at Rising in 2019, our fiscal year 20, you saw that still our land business was um, at that point 80% of. Our business. So the majority of our business was actually coming from land new ACB at that point in time, and clearly the business has both. Right? And obviously today, and with the purposeful, purposeful investment that we've been doing, both I would say growing um, innovation and solutions, and investing on our customer-based sales teams. That uh, balance is different today, and that mix is different today, and it's more a 60-40. Obviously, even the balance uh, is is much more different than it was a few years back ago. Uh, The pie has increased. So still, our land business today is larger than it was in FY20 in terms of absolute value. Um, We now have 4,450 customers over that number that are core HCN or core FINS customers or, or clearly both individual basis so that's uh, that's great but it's still head of great opportunity ahead of us we have thirty two thousand customers identified in our CRN system salesforce in this case as you can imagine that uh, that you know we know they are a good fit for us and as we keep broadening our sales efforts and go to market and our opportunity portfolio that basically pie becomes larger as well so we have you know, tremendous great opportunity in front of us still to go for. And as you know, as we're broadening, uh, basically, the, the innovation and the portfolio that we do have, it's, broad, it's, busy, it's increasing as well the number of SKUs we land when we get into a new customer. So you can see how that's have evolved. And obviously, needless to say, you know, more SKUs usually tends to drive larger, larger deals and more stickiness. That at the end of the day was what we're looking for. And another dynamic that we're seeing as we've been innovating and expanding our product portfolio is, like, we've been able to land in different ways. If you look what happened a few years ago, we were landing, like, uh, you know, in the U.S., large enterprise, and core And today, is much more diverse across geographies, across solutions, across segments, which, again, I think diversified the, the business, but as well risk the business, if you want to look at that way. And one of the areas where we're been you know, putting more focus on um, and it has been having an impact is, is really industry, as you heard before, right? Um, and there are a number of reasons why when we go deep on industry, we really penetrate in the front, in the middle, in the back office, we become much more meaningful, um, as you heard from Terence before. Um, so really, this becomes much more strategic, right? And when we land in industry, what we see is that the average HSP or average deal value of our landing is 50% higher than when we land on our non-core verticals or non-core industries. So that's, that's meaningful. Medium enterprise as well uh, has been very strategic. We've been highlighting that one and important to us. And for those of you in the room that are not that familiar with our business, medium enterprise for us is businesses that are under 3,500 employees. We sell the same solution that we sell to the largest of our customers, but uh, we become much more prescriptive on the scope, and we become much more, we do it in a way, as Sherry was mentioning before, launch, which is much more predictable in terms of time frames and fixed costs and some other different approaches. So faster time to value at the end of the day. And when we do, what we do in medium enterprise is different than our competitors. We try to go with an approach to value that is a full suite of platform, meaning that these customers are usually consuming, majority of them, HCM and financials at the same time. Whereas our competitors try to go either one or the other on, on, on a single basis, and in fact, over the last 12 months, roughly 50% of our new A C B landed uh, basically from medium enterprise customers. International, we've been highlighting international as a, become, as a very critical growth driver to what we do, and we have been very solid momentum in international. In Europe, which is a bit more mature for us, we've been focusing our strategy and doubling down in a number of core countries that we call then Tier 1 countries. And those are uh, France, UK, and Germany. Needless to say, those are the largest and most significant geographies that we do have. And the efforts are paying off. What we've seen in the last period is 100% basically growth in new NCV coming from those countries in, in EMEA. APA clearly... Less mature uh, than than it is our strategies in EMEA, so we don't have yet that strategy in tier 1 countries, but it's been, you know, really a good contributor to our growth. So if you look at the last 12-month period, we drove a 70% increase in new A C B landing deals in our APJ business. And finally, through acquisitions like uh, Adaptive Planning or PCOM, what well, we've been trying to do, it again, is landing differently with our customers, um, and those have been uh, really helping us out on not uh, getting on core relationships, and we've been seeing how we've been expanding and increasing win rates, but also at the same time, we're going to try to get those customers, our core HCN or core financial customers. So we're seeing an acceleration of our Planning First customers, becoming core financials, core HCM customers. All right, let's transition now to a second growth vector that I wanted to cover with you today, which is accelerating the expand opportunity. Which is, uh, we see our customer-based sales motion as a truly significant opportunity for us over the coming years to go, right? And a few years ago, we had much more smaller sales coverage I'm, you know, a much more smaller set of portfolio of innovation to sell into our customer base. So that business was just representing 20% of our business, as you saw before. Today, and thanks to all the product innovation, but also as well to the customer base, sales sales things, go-to-market investments that we've been doing, that business represents 40% plus. Um, And really is growing at a very rapid clip. I think we we had some comments for you that we did on our last earnings call, and that was really meaningful, what we saw there in Q2. So one of the key success to this motion is obviously, well, I would say that uh, having a very uh, referenceable and happy customer base. Hopefully you have the experience to touch on that one or, or make it more tangible over here at the rising. But also that uh, we had a great customer base, over 50% of our Fortune 500 and over 25% of the Global 2000. But as we said before, LANs remains a key focus to keep just increasing the num- this number core of customers that we do have. But it's not just our customer base, the one that is growing. Um, so if I work this slide out from left to right, and maybe, you know, next year, I don't know if it is going to fit here. You see a different set of solutions. You see some of those, if you start on the left, you know, solutions like extent, like scheduling, like messaging, like candidate management, like accounting center, that are less than 10% penetrated. Then you see solutions in the middle, the orange one, where are increasing, you know, some good maturity, but we still have a a great opportunity and way to go to keep expanding on some of those and are basically, you know, under 50% penetrated. And those are, you know, procurement, prison, analytics, people, you can read and learning, and some of the others. But even our most mature products, you know, we we are still um, doing well and we're still tracking to do investments in places like payroll, like in Germany or payroll in Australia, or then tracking on some of the other investments because we do see opportunity ahead. But what is important, I think, to know is that momentum is cross-based across solutions. So when you look at it, the number one sales top solution in our customer base represents less than 15% of the ACV. And the top 10 represents less than two-thirds of the ACV. I don't know how you feel, but I like kind of that view of uh, a very balanced business, but a, a diversified and under-risk business. And we're increasing the deal sizes. Um, and it has increased significantly during the last few years. I mean, a few years ago, I couldn't, I couldn't think that, uh, or it was, you were not seeing us doing a million dollar upsell on our customer base, right? And today, we, you know, those are, those are quite normal and quite frequent. So the deal sizes have increased during the last few years over five to five, 45% in average in our customer base. And again, it's, it's, uh, it's a tribute, basically, it's, uh, it's a record to the, to the strategy we've been putting on the go-to-market, but also as well you know, the, the innovation that has been coming from the product teams. So both. Customer base is also obviously a, a key driver for financial expansion. Um, and that is clearly a, a big uh, strategic focus for us, as you do know and are familiar with. Uh, it requires a different level of focus because, uh, you know, the finance deals, they tend to take longer and they require a, different, a bit of different go-to-market motion. But we're making a good dent. And, you know, I don't think there is any inflection point. But is, there is some good, gradual, and very positive trend that is happening out there. So I think that we're seeing that in industries like financial services, technology, retail, and hospitality. And some of these are some of our latest customers that have converted, or happy come from Core customers to Corfin customers. I really like as well one motion that we do have in customer base, which is the digital AEs, right? So what are the digital AEs? Well, clearly, as our deals have been increasing in our customer base, the... Most of the AEs tend to focus, customer-based AEs, on the larger deal transactions. Uh, But we don't want to leave anything on the table, and we want to make sure that we capture the value from those that are moving at very high speed and velocity deals. So we introduce the customer-based AEs that are helping us out with those transactions, and that, uh, you know, they're working on deals around planning or on deals around PICOM, and and we've seen, for example, a 50% increase attached on PICOM deals, coming through the digital AEs. It's also a great uh, way for creating future AEs, as you can imagine. So hopefully more to talk in the future, but, uh, but we're very excited about this motion that we just put uh, in place beginning of this year and this initiative. I want to bring this section home, just giving you a real example of a customer, right? Um, this company landed as an HCN customer 10 years ago over the years they replaced a number of hcn silo systems uh, to drive simplifications agility flexibility and recently became a financial customer taking on you know beyond core financials of course on prison accounting center um basically analytics and some others to drive their business their business forward with some more m a integration and some expansion that they were having with they were having going through so now, all told, this customer has increased their spend with us by a factor of 25x since they became a customer. Um, and clearly, it's been a combination of expanding the solution with us and the growth they've been experiencing as well as, an, as a company, right? But this is a, a real true example. All right. I wanted to cover the, the evolving industry opportunity that we do have. Um, Because as we've been saying, industry is becoming much more important, not only from a product investment, but also from a go-to-market point of view. And when we think about industry, it really cuts across both our land and our expand motions. So as we scale our our market, we're thinking how do we scale it through industry, right? Um, And that's important for some of the reasons that I mentioned before. It's important as well because, uh, you know, our messaging planning, execute, um, analyze, planning, analyze, and execute resonates very well when we go to some of these industry plays. And it's a great combination between the strategic product fit that we're doing, the go-to-market efforts, the partners' efforts that we're doing, and some of the, you know, innovation that we're building with them. So let me touch base on some of the industries um, and how we're bringing this strategy to, uh, to basically to life, right? Financial services, I think, is a great testament to it. I mean, we are presenting over 70% of the Fortune 500 in financials. We've seen a very significant step change of financial services customers that are taking on to financial customers during the, last, uh, during the recent, ta- recent time. And as we expand here, it creates a much broader opportunity as well for some of the other uh, office of the CHRO solutions that we do have. And as well, we're thinking, you know, a good way to expand, potentially focus on some of our most mature international countries for industries like financial services. So it's our first industry becoming a $1 billion, but I think with a much more room to grow and to keep growing. And certainly not the last one, but again, you know, great, great example. What about healthcare as our next uh, industry that I wanted to highlight? We had significant momentum in this, in, in this industry, 60% attached rate in this industry for financial management and supply chains management. And since we started the journey in this industry back in 2015, journey meaning we put focus in terms of we're going to create more product focus and depth, depth there, but we're also going to do investment on our customers, on our sales teams. We have increased our customer base in terms of number count of customers by 10 it. 10x. So, certainly one that is very significant to us and, and one we see a lot of customers, you know, being HCN, financial supply chain management customers. Education and government is the next industry I wanted to cover. This is the one, uh, one of our most mature ones. This is the one having the highest um, attach rate in terms of our financial management solutions, 75% attach rate. We are on our journey on student as you don't know as you do know and we've been highlighting, you know, how many customers have been going live on the solution. We're seeing that those operational systems are now in a good momentum and you can see the momentum that is there and it's palpable for being ripped out and we are continuously driving forward growth there. And again student being a good uh, you know anchor for an industry to move H C M financials and then student. Um, we've also been doing well in state and local. And as you recently hear, heard from us, we are starting our journey in the federal market where we see there's a $2 billion opportunity. But again, it's going to be a, a medium-long-term opportunity, nothing that will be impacting significantly in the short term. Professional services is an industry where we have a, a significant number of HCN customers. It's an industry where it makes a lot of sense from a financial perspective for we to put a, to have a play on because if you think what that industry is about is about the combination of talent and skills allocating those to the right uh, projects and basically how you're measuring and monitoring and managing that, right? So clearly some where we're seeing as well some of our HCN customers becoming financial customers and where you're going to see us keep investing forward from a depth perspective. Retail and hospitality. This is our... Our largest industry in terms of um, employees or workers in the system, as you can imagine, we have uh, more than 50% of the Fortune 500 retail and hospitality customers, and these are very large. Um, We have significant momentum in fins that we're driving in this industry as well. Accounting center is a big driver for it, too, as it is in financial services and some other industries. Um, while we are not significantly mature here, you should look for us to keep expanding and, and deepening our go-to-market presence in this industry going forward in hospitality. Again, we always give you samples some of the customers there, obviously, and some of the latest ones. Well, I want to close on some of the really exciting stories from, from Q2, right? Especially on technology and media. Again, another industry very similar to financial services where we have 70% of our Fortune 500 in technology and media customers are, are our HCN customers and where we see a great opportunity ahead. And of course in Q2 we announced the Salesforce becoming a core financial customers. That's the, that's a big milestone I think for us and potentially for the industry. So we're excited about the momentum that we can be driving into this industry. So hopefully these anchors were commented before on a high level that we aim to become, um, you know, continue to gain market share on the office of the CFO as a whole from industry-driven play, including with uh, support from our partners, Um, but as as well clearly be the dominant cloud CloudFence player, uh, you know, in the the services-based industries. Um, I think we, we're making good progress as those systems are, legacy systems are becoming more in time for reaping and replace. So I hope, uh, if I want to leave you with one message, it's like, yeah, we had a good, uh, great market momentum overall right now, um, but uh, clearly we are not short of opportunity ahead. Um, there is a lot that we can still capture out there, a lot of work to do, but we're excited about for the opportunity that is uh, ahead of us and in front of us, and we appreciate your support. So with that, I want to hand things over to my dear friend, uh, CFO, Barbara Larson.
11: Thank you, Chano. I'm Barbara Larson, the CFO of Workday, and most of my time with this community has been over Zoom. So it's great to be here in person at Rising, and for all of you that are joining remotely, thanks for being part of our event today, and look forward to meeting you in person soon, too. So today, you've heard about our strategy, how we're uniquely positioned to capture the market. You've heard how we continue to innovate and move move our platform forward. You've heard how we're strategically going to market to drive broad-based adoption of our solutions. So now I want to bring that all home and talk about the opportunities and how they translate to enduring, profitable, and responsible growth. We've been on an incredible journey, which has led to healthy subscription revenue growth over the last several years. And despite our growth in scale, we're still in the early days of our opportunity. As Pete shared, our TAM is $125 billion in size, and even with our market leadership in the cloud, we continue to be less than 5% Penetrated into our addressable market opportunity. In HCM, we're the clear market leader with more than 50% of the Fortune 500. We've seen acceleration there from mid-teens growth to low-20s. Driving that acceleration are several of the strategic growth drivers you've heard today. Our customer-based sales motion, medium enterprise, international, and continued execution, landing new large enterprise HCM customers in the US. Even with that strong momentum at scale, we still see significant opportunity going forward with less than 10% market penetration in HCM. In FINS, we continue to take share and our industry-first approach is clearly resonating. Q2 was a great validation of that. We had several important wins. You heard Shano talk about Salesforce, American Electric Power, and many others. We scaled this business to greater than $1.2 billion in trailing 12-month subscription revenue, and we're still in the early days. As you all know, this market has lagged HCM from a cloud adoption perspective. The growth rate has moderated slightly, from low 30s to high 20s, as we felt some impacts of COVID still felt on our FINS business. But we've never felt better about where we are in our FINS journey today and our strategy going forward. Another way to think about the opportunity is from a geographic perspective. Nearly half of our global opportunity sits in the U.S. market. We've seen acceleration here, driven by customer base, office of the CFO, and medium enterprise. And even with this success, we continue to see significant runway and are less than 10% penetrated into our opportunity. International is growing faster, and still in the early days of market adoption. Despite the challenging market environment, international growth accelerated to 26%, And we're still early in the journey here. We see significant long-term opportunity, particularly across our tier one markets. Another way to look at the opportunity is through the lens of some of our strategic growth initiatives. As you heard today, we see clear momentum in medium enterprise, customer base, and industry. But we have significant runway across each of those areas as well. In the mid-market, only 15% of that is penetrated on a logo basis. And we're even earlier days in our opportunity to expand that footprint. And speaking of customer base, we have the opportunity to continue to grow as our product portfolio and our customer community expands and we have greater than $10 billion of incremental opportunity to sell back into our customers. From an industry standpoint, we also see significant opportunity ahead. In fact, in the U.S. market, nearly 80% of the total workforce is centered in service-based industries, which, as you know, is our focus with FINS. And when you put all of that opportunity together, it drives our conviction in our goal of sustaining 20% plus subscription revenue growth on our path to 10 billion. So driving enduring growth remains our priority. And we feel great about the opportunity we have ahead. And the strength of our business model also enables us with the opportunity to drive profitable growth. This is anchored in our best-in-class gross revenue retention rate, which has averaged 98% over the last five years. So companies have different ways of calculating this. So let's be clear. Workday's definition excludes growth from things like employee count and price increases. And it includes downsell that you might see within our customer base and of course, customer churn. The strength of this metric is key to our model as well as our long-term growth and profitability. Said another way, we've averaged just 2% churn over the last five years. And when you look at the median software company, approximately 8%, which is still very good. That six-point difference is significant, and it compounds over time. So on this slide, we've got two companies, both at $5 billion in annual revenue at the same point in time. Company A has 2% churn, like Workday. It's growing 20% year-on-year. Company B has the same new ACV bookings, but Company B has 8% churn instead of 2%. So you see the compounding effect. Every year, the difference between Company A and Company B's revenue increases. And by the time you get to the end of year four, Company A has 1.5 billion, or 16% higher revenue than Company B. And that gap becomes more pronounced as the business continues to scale. So solid retention is one of the powerful drivers of scale, but it's also a powerful driver of margin expansion because renewals in most businesses, including ours, has a very high margin. Strong gross retention provides the foundation for customer expansion opportunities customers are not only staying with Workday, they're going all in with Workday, fueling our continued growth in the number of strategic relationships. One of the ways we measure this is looking at customers with greater than 3 million in ARR. This has grown at a Kager of mid-20s over the last several years, an even faster growth, with customers that have more than 5 million in ARR. And if you think about that longer term, so many companies are just getting started on Workday. So you heard throughout the day, our portfolio continues to expand. At the same time, we've increased our focus on our customer-based sales motion. Those two things, Combined with solid 98% gross retention have driven a 7 percentage point improvement in net revenue retention over the last 4 years. And we continue to see momentum in the customer-based sales motion. We've been aggr- investing aggressively in sales and marketing given all the opportunity we see ahead. And even as we do that, we continue to see a very efficient cost to acquire. Those economics drive our decision to continue to invest in sales and marketing. We've also driven long-term return on our R&D investments. Over the last five years, we've driven leverage through increased scale across the portfolio And looking forward, we see continued opportunity to drive leverage in R&D, but not at the cost of innovation. We plan to make incremental investments in R&D, just not at the same pace as revenue growth. Similar to R&D, we're driving nice gross margin expansion as well, as a result of the mixed shift to subscription revenue, combined with healthy subscription gross margin. As we look to the future, we continue to expect subscription revenue to outpace growth in services. And as you heard Sam say earlier, we're investing in the ecosystem, which will continue to drive mixed shift towards subscription. Given the strength of our model and the leverage we've seen across the business, our overall non-GAAP operating margin and operating cash flow margin have expanded nicely over the last several years. As we've been talking about since the last analyst day, our FY23 margins are impacted by a few things, including our company-wide performance-based cash bonus, increased hiring, and certain costs like return to office, travel, in-person events, layering back into our business model. However, as we look out to FY24, we expect margin expansion to resume, driven by the same levers that I've already touched on, primarily R&D and gross margin expansion. From there, we continue to expect operating margin to scale to approximately 25%, and operating cash flow margin to expand to 35%. That leads to both operating profit and cash flow growing at a high 20s CAGR over the next several years. But that's really just one point on our journey. By no means are we done there. Profitable growth remains our priority, and we see significant opportunity well beyond $10 billion. Given the strength of our model, as we continue to scale, we see opportunity for continued margin expansion from there. Now, our 25% operating margin target at 10 billion is non-GAAP, which is one of the primary ways we think about the business. GAAP results are another way we measure the business, and we've seen the delta between GAAP and non-GAAP margin narrow over time. The primary driver of that is stock-based comp. As we scale as a company and the pace of our headcount growth moderates, we expect stock-based comp as a percent of revenue to come down and trend in line with our tech peers. So while we remain confident in our strategy to sustain enduring and profitable growth, we're also dedicated to doing so, while also maintaining our long-held commitment for responsible growth. When Workday was founded in 2005, we set out to redefine the enterprise software industry and to do what's right as we did it. We built the company on a core set of values that, 17 years later, still guide our decisions and our actions. This includes how we show respect for our employees, how we innovate for customers, and how we care for the world around us. We measure success not only in financial terms, but how we operate in the world. Our ESG commitments are focused across three main stakeholders, employees, customers, community. So I'll start with employees. We begin by working hard to create a culture where we can attract and retain the most diverse and inclusive workforce possible. Once they're on board, we nurture a best-in-class employee experience, giving our workmates the opportunity to provide honest feedback on a weekly basis with Workday pecan employee voice. These insights have helped us identify what's working, and what's not, and help us improve and build a great place for everyone to work. And finally, vibe is our commitment to value inclusion, belonging, and equity for all. A key part of that has been our goal to increase Black and Latinx employees in the U.S. by 30%, and to double our leadership representation by 2023. We've exceeded our target for the overall representation and we are well on our way to meeting our leadership goal. Moving to customer, we develop solutions that are specifically designed to help our customers gain insights about equity within their workforce, to improve sustainability and resilience of their supply chains, and to help them manage their emissions reduction targets, and improve their overall ESG performance. We also strive to care for the world around us, and Workday has done an incredible amount in this space. We've established science-based climate targets throughout our entire value chain, taking part in a global commitment to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. We've achieved net zero emissions in 2020 and lifetime net zero carbon footprint in 2021, and we're constantly working to advance policies that support the transition to a low carbon economy. So, before we head into Q and A, I'm going to close by recapping a few of the key takeaways from today. First. As we scale, so too does our opportunity. Our market leadership position and relentless focus on innovation uniquely position us to continue taking share for many years to come. Second, our strategic growth areas of the business have clear momentum. Medium enterprise, international, industry, and customer-based provide us with a foundation for future growth. And finally, our financial model is powerful, and it provides us with the opportunity to become one of the largest, most profitable software companies, all while holding true to our core values. So with that, we're going to take a a brief moment to get set up for Q&A, and I'll be right back with the rest of the team in a minute.
1: Okay, great. we, well, we are going to transition to Q&A, and uh, without further ado, I'm going to go over to Mark Murphy from J.P. Morgan. Mark, go ahead. Be kind.
9: <laughs> I can't introduce
6: myself now. Justin already, Justin Furby already did. Um, great show. Uh, thanks for having us here. So I wanted to ask you, the first customer I bumped into today is with a Fortune 500 uh, company, and I walked them to registration Uh, And then found out he works in the IT department of his company. So not HR, not finance. And the the company hadn't sent anyone from HR or uh, or finance to this conference. So I'm just wondering, um, how how common is that trend where you see IT getting involved? And is that opening up uh, a different type of,
12: um, you know, kind of greasing the skids for broader and deeper discussions with some
6: of these companies?
2: Uh, well, I'd say that, uh, you know, since we started the company, we've wanted to have a deeper relationship with, with IT. Uh, in many cases, some of our early customers were, were driven by IT, like Dave Smoley at Flextronics or Manjeet Singh at, at Chiquita. But in the last two years, we've made a concerted effort to really engage with IT, uh, uh, not just because they're involved with the projects, but because Extend is really an opportunity for us to work with them and have them, uh, put their resources uh, into the projects with, with the extensions that they can build together. And so IT is coming, and now there's something that's really in it for them other than just being somebody that watches out over the project.
13: Hey, guys. Uh, Alex Zukin from Wolf. Congrats on throwing a great, uh, great show. Um, I guess Anil, what, I'll, I'll use a word that I know a lot of us dread, uh, and it's not recession. Uh, it's actually the word inflection. Yeah. Uh, and we've asked you, I think, for the last seven years about an inflection in the opportunity for financials. But it does seem like with the signing of Salesforce, with the signing of you know more more than even a handful of fortune Five hundred customers, uh, maybe that's happening and And I want you know you you talked about not being considering yourself back office anymore. It, it, are you feeling or sensing from customers this kind of a shift in the imperative for digital transformation to the back office? To de- I, 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 it, it's a tough <laughs> question because of the, the nomenclature used, but talk about that and talk about maybe in, if you can, kind of what was the journey with Salesforce specifically to, to adopt Workday Financials?
2: Yeah. Uh, so let's let's start with just, just the general uh, mindset. I do think that, I, I'm not sure... There ever has been or will be an inflection point on finance. It's been a steady grower. Uh, some quarters it's 30%, some quarters it's 50%. Last quarter it was, it was very high. Uh, a couple of big deals swing that. Uh, it's, it's not like HR where everybody decided at once they were going to tear it out because the legacy systems were so bad. I think the reality is the legacy systems for finance uh, are not heavy user-based systems. They're more used by just accountants. Pla- planning might be different. And so the, the uh the desire of CFOs to change systems was not as high as it was around around HR, which which touches every employee in the company. Having said that, these these uh times where change is really uh on us, whether it's whether it's planning or whether it's agility or now it's ESG, it really shows how broken those legacy systems are, which is why I think we're we're seeing that, that uptick. And I'd also say um, it's also the maturity of the product. You know, uh, Salesforce, AEP, these are Fortune 500 companies. We needed to match Fortune 500 functionality and financials, which we did in HR several years ago, and now we've done it in finance, and so I do think that bodes well going forward. The Salesforce cycle, I don't know when it started. It might have started five years ago. Um, There's always the complexity of Oracle in there because Oracle was the database partner. Uh, So we had some fits and starts. This last one started about 14 months. Is that right, Shanoe?
1: About 14 year ago.
2: And yeah. it was, uh, uh, they went into great detail, into the technology, into everything, uh, uh, into a real deep dive. Cheyenne was was part of that. Uh, and I think they came out and said this is the right direction for them to go. And this was at the highest levels. This was Brett Taylor. This was this was Amy. Uh, this was a new CIO1 CIO from UPS. They all they all got on board and, and, uh, and got comfortable with it. But it was a long Sell cycle, which frankly, even the big HR ones are that way too. And then maybe just one B. Yeah. Um,
13: if you think about the last time we were at an, the Analyst Day, there was this thought that you know HCM could grow kind of in the mid-teens, and and fin, financial is going to grow 30 plus percent, and that yep. was kind of the calculus to get to that 20. Yep. Given the TTM growth figures yeah. that we just saw, it, it, is that calculus different? Is it? Was it different, in, but it's going to go back to that 1530?
2: No, of I, I think numbers. HCM has turned out to be more resilient. And, and, uh, uh, and I, I credit Chano and, and team with really identifying the opportunities, both in medium enterprise and going back to the customer base. Uh, and then I think finance uh, had a bit of a lull because of, because of COVID. And I, I think that there's, there's a reason why we're, why our growth rate has been higher than 20%. Uh, and that's that's largely because uh, you know frankly both have been working and I see upside. I don't I don't see upside on as much on HR from where we've been because it didn't really take a hit during COVID and I, I don't see it taking a hit now. I think the upside is on finance and it's not just core accounting now. It's planning, it's procurement, it's it's uh, you know products that we didn't have before like accounting center that we now have this really broad suite to to go into the office of the CFL. They don't have to buy it all at once. They can buy they can buy it. Uh, they can start with planning and move on. So that, it's a it's a much different game than it was four or five years ago.
8: Thank, thanks to Brent Hill with Jeffries. Uh, Anil, on
5: uh, you can the ask vision. other
2: people questions too. <laughs> You're doing really
5: great. Yeah.
4: yeah, good job. Good job, Bob. We're
5: good. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Anil, on your vision of the back office, you mentioned you don't view yourself as back office, but the can you give us your five year vision of of what you think you look like and how this is evolving. And then Barbara, just on the comment on margin, you you drew a little arrow up on 24. What's your sense? Is that 100 basis points? Is it 150? How how do you think, how should we interpret that in terms of your your arrow on the screen? Thanks.
2: So I'll take a crack at the first one and I'd uh, love to to hear from Pete and and Cheyenne as well. You know, our our vision uh, for the next five years is not that different than it was when we started the company. We wanted to be the e- ERP provider for the service industries. Recognizing that HR, we could be the provider for all industries, but with finance, we were not going to target the manufacturing supply chain industries. And, and that, that vision uh, remains intact. I think what's changed, and what continues to change, is, is the focus of where we invest. Uh, transactions are still very important, but, uh, but they will over time just, just be table stakes. And what's become mu- much more important is planning on the front end, and then uh, what, you, what I think you'll see over over uh, time, and you saw it in the keynote today, more and more of our, our investment is going into machine learning and AI to give our customers insight. They're generating all this data, both within a customer and across customers, and uh, there's tons of insight into that data that they can use to predict where the business is going in the future. Before, humans just couldn't get through that data quick enough, and by the time they got through it, the, the world had already changed with machine learning, they can get through that data in, in nanoseconds and have real insight as to, you know, where, where their business or where their people are going. And I think I think it's a future of really smart applications as opposed to just just automation, but actually smart applications that help guide the business and then humans apply their judgment to guide the business in the way that they want to. I know Peter Shane, if you want to add anything.
5: Yeah, Neil said a lot of it there, uh, which is... You know, we've been talking for years about two main buyers, two main, two main people within the organization whose needs we satisfy, the CHRO and the CFO. I talked you know, earlier today about the, the opportunity that we have in both those markets. They're both continuing to grow for us, by the way. You saw that the, in terms of the size of the opportunity. We, uh, we are growing the, the opportunity within the office of the CHRO through entering new markets within the office of the CHRO uh and i think that there are other markets that we could continue to grow in there but it's still serving the needs of the chro on the cfo side you know we are just 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 continuing to go there right and as you see us in the next 5 years there's going to be much more emphasis on industry so as we go deeper into the office of the cfo we need to start to be more specific for the needs of the cfo by their industry right and You'll see us, uh, as we have in the past few years, introduce new capabilities. Some of them are going to be monetizable on a per industry basis. But as we choose those areas that we go into and that we develop into, we're going to make sure that all of those are things that uh, that are need to have. Right? They're going to be very important capabilities for the CFO and the CHRO. There's, you know, there's, there's enough of us for for us to choose that we don't need to choose things that aren't must have. Uh, areas, And then the last thing I'll say is, is data, right? I think that uh, you, you see this theme that, that goes through all of the innovation that we've had for the past few years. Data is this through line uh, through all of that, ML, accounting center, skills, et cetera. It is like leveraging that platform, that space that we have to collect all that data together. And there's many more opportunities that we'll have, uh, I think, monetizable opportunities that we'll have because of data going forward.
6: Yeah, I think there's a couple of, you know, secular trends that that have been moving in our direction and are continuing to accelerate in our direction. One is, you know, the company was really founded on the idea that human capital was at the center, whether that was financials or HCM. And what we're seeing is a transformation where every business is a human capital-centric business. A lot of businesses didn't used to characterize themselves that way. Uh, Certainly coming out of, of the last couple of years, everyone is characterizing themselves that way, and that really plays plays into a lot of what we believe in from the very beginning. And then second, a lot of the uh, areas in, of operation in the business are learning how to work more effectively together. You can't think of recruiting and learning and contingent workforce and planning and scheduling and time tracking and financials and projects separately anymore. You have to think about how do you drive that all the way through and have oversight and have the flexibility and the speed to move. and. So we have more and more customers saying, we actually believe in the full vision of why you've stitched all this stuff together. Talking about the margins?
11: Yeah, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and answer the margin. We aren't providing specific guidance in terms of our FY24 guidance, but we wanted to reiterate that we do expect margin to expand next year, and we're focused on executing the second half of this year, and we'll provide an update.
12: Great. Uh Kirk Maternath Evercore Thanks for having us and nice to see you all in person. Uh, I have a couple questions, related questions on just the industry focus, uh both from a development perspective and then a go-to-market perspective. Uh I guess I'll start maybe with Pete on just the development side of the house. How high up are you guys thinking about going when you think about sort of the system of engagements in certain industries, right? There are certain people that have vertical-specific functionality that are more at maybe the front of the house, but that's going to interoperate with you all. So how do you think about sort of building it yourself versus maybe partnering with people that are more entrenched in those areas? And then, Shano, I was hoping you could just talk about sort of the go-to-market as you get more industry-focused How are you tweaking the sales model, perhaps, to make sure that your uh, salespeople can sort of speak the language of industry? So uh, that was it. Thanks.
5: Sure, I'll take a crack at it. And I don't know if Cheyenne has other things to say about this as well. Uh, In terms of the systems of engagement, uh, we are focused, again, on the areas that are relative to people and their financials. Right. Uh, if you saw us have on the slide today, you saw us talk about the front office, middle office, the back office, being able to tie those things together, mostly from a data standpoint. And that is in service. Let's talk about the CFO. That's in service of the CFO getting visibility into what's going on in the front office. It is not, let's say, in the retail industry. It is not to become the front office, uh, the system engagement for the front office, but it's for the CFO to get visibility into that area. So that's not an area that we're going to go. Uh, but certainly, do we want to have uh, – do we want to be the system of engagement for uh, accounting, for treasury, for, you know, those those areas within the CFO? For sure. Um, do we want for employees? Do we want to be the system of engagement for employees? Yes. For uh, HR business partners, for the analysts, et cetera, absolutely. Uh, and so those are areas that we think about for the system of engagement and where, where we sh- should win.
2: Specifically on the industry capabilities, it's more things like funds transfer pricing for financial services, average daily balance, the, the really unique flow-through uh, pieces of functionality that you need to that are unique to those industries, So you know in healthcare, supply chain, and we've been at it, all those things I just talked about for a while, but it's actually bringing them all together in an in industry story, and, and that's really under that's really under Chano.
3: Yeah, I think Kirk uh, you know, we've been having dedicated go to marketing on so in some industries like ENG and healthcare. You see some of the data I shared before, those have been paying off more recently on recently on financial services is starting to pay off and we see a step change on the size of customers that are moving. Clearly that would not have been happening without the maturity that this man and the team are to bring in from the product perspective and that brings a great point of view and the value across. Obviously, you know, it gets enhanced with what we're doing now with partners and some of the industry accelerators and the SI to bring and have a more comprehensive solution. So clearly, as that maturity gets there and those legacies get ready more for ripping off, we are seeing and we are having more dedicated go to marketings. In some cases, as I mentioned, we're thinking taking some of the FSIs broader, even international. Of course, in some of the mature countries, obviously, UK would be a, a good start with to go. And those, um, you know, those investments, what we're seeing is that they're paying off, right? So, it's the, and again, you can nurture at the beginning some dedicated go-to-market teams with maybe some industry, you know, spoke person, be a spoke person that might be overlay resources. But uh, we try to minimize that a period of time and then the more medium long term is really a couple of specific resources because when you have those dedicated things, as you say, they get the value proposition, they get the language, but they need to Basically, do it as they're just working very focused on on those motions. We're also looking into, you know, does it make sense and um, you know to do it and to apply to customer-based those things that are dedicated per industry. As we're getting much more success in some of these industries, so just not land, but also some of the expand motions. As we are converting more new customers from you know H C N to financial customers.
10: Hi, uh, Phil Winslow, uh, Credit Suisse. Great to see you all again in person. And, Neil,
2: I don't think you look like you've had too much pizza. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, di- I did about two months ago, trust me. <laughs>
10: <laughs> so, the, uh a, China, a, qu- a question for you. Uh, one of the numbers that really stood out was the 50% contribution from medium enterprises. You know, When you think about Workday, we always think about you know, the largest, the large enterprises being Customers, but I think that number really, really jumped out to me. Uh, I guess the question there, what you know, are sort of the learnings been that's driving that, that inflection in, in, in that business? And when you think about sort of the growth algorithm going forward, sort of that core, so to speak, large enterprise versus the mid-enterprise, how do we think about that? And then, Barbara, in terms of unit economics, is there any sort of difference that you see uh, versus call it that core large enterprise base and this medium enterprise base? Yeah.
3: So um, a great question. First of all, it's been during the last 12 months, and it's new ACV on land coming from medium enterprise, right? So we've been riding riding on that secular trend, as Sayang was saying, and we commented this on earnings calls. We're gonna to try to leverage on those during the pandemic on those segments and those solutions that will provide higher yield. So what happened, you know, during the pandemic, obviously you saw financials having more of a, um, financials core financials of a headwind. You see some large enterprise companies being a little bit more concerned on doing those transformations where they were being done remote. So we, I think the team did a phenomenal job on focusing and driving that effort through medium enterprise that proved much more resiliency, right? And those medium enterprise customers have been buying both the, you know, financials um, and basically HCN at the same time. And then Sherry and the teams did a great job on, on really, uh, you know, being very prescriptive on, on the time to value and on the scope of the solution and the fixed cost implementations that provided a great value proposition. So I think uh, that has been a great segment. Um, and it's shown us, to be honest, that it can be a great opportunity for us going forward. I believe as well that there's been some weekend, uh, basically, situation from time of the competitors playing on that segment that I don't know if we're taking advantage of, but we've been really gaining market share. So I want to keep doubling, doubling down on that one. It's a great segment for us. Um, don't... You know, that does not mean that we don't have a great opportunity in large enterprise. We do. And the second thing is some of those medium enterprise deals are still in ASP because, again, you saw the number of solutions we land with, nine. Much of that is drive, driving from medium enterprise. So you still see a million-plus dollar deals there, more than one or two in ACB. So don't, don't get mistaken that, you know, it's medium enterprise and they're tiny and they're not really contributing. They truly are.
2: Right. Well, and, and just one thing to add about medium enterprise – there's only a handful of countries in the world that that have uh large populations of fortune 500 countries uh, for fortune 500 companies so when you get outside the US many of the markets like Germany and France and Spain and uh and in Asia uh they they are medium enterprise markets so so that is that as we become more international we're going to sell more medium enterprise business
11: and I'll just layer, layer in on the unit economics, uh, CAC, I think I would say, you know, between medium enterprise, large enterprise, they're relatively similar, so no meaningful difference. And I would just say the same for churn. Again, they're large, they're still large companies. It's not like it's S&P where you typically see larger churn.
3: Good point.
12: Hey, uh, oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> Remo Lencher from Barclays. Um, I don't want to pitch Anil against Chano on stage here now, but a uh, quick question as you think about and, and evolve as a company, like Workday always has been very heavy on product uh, innovation, product development, because there's such a big market that you're going against. And if I look at your ratios compared to the peers, you always spend a lot more, which kind of is paying off now. On the sales side though, you always kind of spend less than the other guys. Uh, and Chano, I'm sure you kind of do the metrics on your sales productivity, et cetera. What's the argument or what's the thinking for the long run, not just, you know, not current macro, uh, kind of ignore that, but more in the long run in terms of doubling down more on sales as you have more product to sell there um, and changing that ratio in a slightly different yeah. direction?
2: Uh, I think Sean and I are on exactly the same page. I mean, as we get more synergies from the rest of the business, we're investing them in sales and marketing. Uh, different than our our companies that are, Viewed as peers in the cloud, not, not SAP and Oracle, but our peers in the cloud. We set out to build something huge. I mean, ERP is not—it's it's, it's not a single area of product, and it's super complicated, especially finance. So we needed a massive R&D uh, investment to, to get it going. And as we start getting economies of scale through, through Cheyenne's efforts and, and just critical mass, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather—I personally, I mean. You know, barbara and i have this conversation all the time i personally wouldn't want to keep driving up margin uh, uh, the operating margin i'd rather put it now back into sales and marketing as we you know as we get more global opportunity and, and frankly a, a fairly benign competitive environment i mean it's not benign we have two big competitors but our world hasn't changed uh you know we've got the same competitors we had 17 years ago when we started the company there's no amazon there's no you know there's no google microsoft competes at the low end we've got this we've got a pretty static competitive environment so we should be racing on getting as much market share as we can. So China and I I think see this exactly the same. So completely on the same yeah, page. We don't always agree with what you write, Randall. So. <laughs>
14: <laughs> Hi, it's uh it's Mark Marcon from Beard. Uh thanks for doing this. Um it's been tremendous. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about um two different things? One would basically be um you know what you're seeing in terms of the International uh, Global 2000 in terms of their recognition to digitize uh, their systems and, and to go in for the best in class solutions that are out there, particularly on HCM, but also in terms of financials. That's just, you know, to what extent are we starting to see an inflection there? That's number one. And then number two, what are the implications with regards to CapEx on a long-term basis as you continue to move more towards the public cloud, and then in addition to that, um, you know, thinking about APIs and partnerships.
3: Yeah, I, I can take the goal in the global 2001. I think we, we share today, well, I think we shared today 25%, basically penetration global 2000. If you go back a few years ago, we were suddenly under 20% or was 17, 18. So we're making progress there as those companies are um, understanding better the benefits of moving to the cloud in the different markets they do operate, and they do have different maturities, as you know, where those are based. Um, we are expecting, based on our pipeline and the conversation, we're having to keep making progress there. Both, I would say, in HCM perspective, as some of those as well are realizing that, that their legacy systems on the financial side they are not really built up any longer to keep coping with the business. And I expect to be gradual, but some of those are, again, have become financial customers and, and expecting that that trend will continue.
2: And maybe how about Europe versus Asia-Pacific? No, you, you. Sorry? Like, how would you, how would you compare international Asia-Pacific versus Europe in terms of adoption?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Clearly Europe much more mature, uh, but, uh, you know, you go, we, the, the countries that we define in Europe as tier one, as the one we're seeing, we're seeing, because we're doubling down on that one, seeing very significant increased growth, right? I mentioned, you know, during the last period, 100% basically increasing new ACV. What I would say interna- in, when you go to APJ, obviously Australia and New Zealand in terms of cloud uh, penetration is a different state than some other geographies, but obviously Singapore, uh, I would say, is following, but it's a much smaller market, right, than some others. So, yeah, that's how we compare it.
1: Cool. Hey, uh, over on the right, you're right. Michael Turner, Wells Fargo, thank you okay. for hosting uh, disappointed there aren't any Mickey ears on stage. But one of the questions we've been asking across enterprise software is who is over-monetizing versus under-monetizing. You have a very compelling uh, set of slides on just where you are in terms of penetration. and I think we're getting the question just in terms of how you go back to customers in an environment like this and sell effectively back into the base, given these often are larger deals up front. You've obviously added a lot more in terms of new product, and so just in having some of the customer conversations you're having currently, are there any observations you can share in terms of what gives you that right of preference to go back to customers now and engage on some of the new products and some of the innovations you've been working towards?
3: Yeah, um, you know, as I was saying, it's mission-critical applications, right? So at the end of the day, the, the customers are renewing uh, is because they're seeing value in the applications we're driving, So what we've been trying to do in times like this is go back to playbooks where we go more to tangible uh, basically ROIs. And return on investments, which is with customers we do appreciate. We leverage our customer ba- referenceable customer base in terms of sharing with each other the use cases and how they're driving value. Um, sometimes uh, I had, as I said, I had the bring to talk to too many customers. I was talking to a CHRO and a CIO of a very global large bank and they say, listen, the business case just goes on its own, just on compliance. Sometimes that is underappreciated. Don't get me wrong. They're seeing a lot of value in terms of managing their workforces and helping them out to bring them back to work Um, and, you know, managing their talents and so on and so forth. But just on compliance and data points and retiring all those legacy systems that they need to report on and they maintain, it costs a hell of a lot of money these days. So it's, it's working with them in partnership so they do understand that leveraging some of our referenceable customer base and go through those playbooks, we, we drive significant value and they we would not be having those retention ratios. We would not be mission critical or any value. So that's what we're trying to ensure that we train our go-to-market teams to leverage now and we work with our partners that they do understand as well.
2: Yeah, from a would, technical Well, so. I, would just, I would start. It all, has, it all starts with happy customers, right? Everything, everything that you asked about starts with happy customers. And I think you get the sense... Customers are, are pretty happy here. And uh, in, a, in, a, in a challenging economic environment, they tend to favor the safe choice versus startups for these new modules or any of these other products, and, and fewer is better. So that, that trend really benefits us during a tough time where we see large companies saying, you know, we looked at two or three of these companies. We're not sure they're going to be around. We're just going to go with what, with what you have. We know you're going to be around, and we know you are our trusted partner, and by the way, we're happy. And I think that's, if you guys take away one thing from this conference is take away happy customers, and that, that, is, that is our golden goose.
6: We also see that, you know, for a customer that's renewing, who's been on, on Workday for three years, let's say with core HCM, and then they turn on talent optimization, they've amassed that data. The minute they turn on talent optimization, the ML is, already has the data set to work on. So they're seeing immediate value in that second phase.
0: Uh, Thanks. Derek Wood at at Cowan. I got a a financial question and then a higher level question. So, Barbara, just to get some clarification, that 20 percent growth, is that organic? Does that include potential acquisitions? And is that an average or is that kind of a commitment to to do at least 20 percent every year until you until you hit 10 billion? And then, um, you know, you gave operating cash flow margin uh, targets any color on kind of CapEx percentage of revenue? And that just as kind of a toss-up to, um, you know, to, to you guys from a broader perspective. I mean, I know we're early in the in the conference this week, but, you know, just would be curious what you're hearing from customers from, you know, a macro standpoint, a demand standpoint. Is there pressure in budgets? Is there more, you know, decision makers involved? Or is there a lot of confidence that projects are high priority? Just would love to hear any color you've gotten so far.
11: I'll take the financial ones first. So we are targeting to sustain 20% plus subscription revenue growth on our path to $10 billion. And that is a view based on the opportunity we have in front of us. It's, it's organic. So M&A would be on top of that. Of course, we're carefully watching the environment. And to the extent things materially worsen, that could have an impact on our growth rate. But it remains our focus
2: can I say one thing? Yeah. Use the word commitment. I would say it's our plan because we do, we do not control the outside world, but our plan, in a in a relatively moderated world, which who knows where we're headed right now, is that. But but I, I, that commitment is that That's out of our control.
11: And Cat, you had capex too yeah. as well, yeah. So capex clearly this year is an investment year. We do expect it to go down as a percent of revenue, I think the, the right way to think about it is probably around five or six, which is five or 6%, which is what we saw prior to this year. On um, well, the customer questions, yeah.
3: I would say we will know more at the end of the week. There are a lot of meetings that are gonna be taking place after we're done with the keynotes, right? No much more update that what we said on our earnings Q2 call.
0: Hi, Brad Zelnick with Deutsche Bank right over here. Thanks so much for, to Justin and Annie and, and all of you for a great in-person event. Uh, I wanted to ask about Extend because it, it's something that's slowly becoming a lot more prominent, I think, to the Workday story, something we hear a lot about in speaking to partners and even customers. And, and, and my questions are, are more in trying to understand the prioritization and how you monetize. Is it about winning more business and driving win rates because you're better able to solve the customer problem? Is it about Having you know partners that can develop applications themselves and monetize in that way, what are the different ways that, that, that it drives success for workday and its customers, and maybe for Sam in particular, as you think about the partner strategy and, and, and industries and how important
5: that is, where does extend play and fit into that? Thank you why don 't I start? Yeah uh, the answer is yes and yes <laughs> uh, and yes on, on a bunch of other things yeah. as well. Uh, uh, Extend is a is a paid uh, product. One, uh, two. Uh, Extend allows us to create solutions in industries that uh, increase win rates, increase presentation rates as well. Uh, it the we talked this morning. I don't know if you were at the keynote this morning, but we talked about the just the explosion of solutions that are being created um, uh, in the in the greater ecosystem. 25 package solutions this year, but, but 750 production applications now. We had DevCon this year, uh, second annual. We had uh, uh, over a thousand people there. We had uh, just lots and lots of, of kind of uh, people getting trained and coming into the uh, into the ecosystem. So you know, Extend is a way for us to uh, unlock a lot of different things that we need to do um, in, in the product. Last thing I'll say is. Extend also makes it so Cheyenne and team doesn't have to build some things that otherwise customers would be asking us for. So sometimes there's these really unique requirements that a customer has and that they might be asking us, hey, could you please build this thing? And it would get in the way of the product roadmap. Instead, Cheyenne can focus on much higher value things that we can sell to all customers and a customer can use Extend to kind of unlock those use cases.
6: Yeah, it absolutely helps us address the long tail you know, a feature set, um, as Pete has mentioned. And I also think it gives customers uh, the ability to really, in, you know, engage with, with Workday. You know, I think one of the challenges uh, as we've transitioned to the cloud in a lot of cases is it's happening outside of the IT department, right? You know, you're getting a lot of leverage, but a lot of the knobs and levers that the IT organizations used to traditionally have uh, with their software applications got taken away. And by giving them Extend, they are able to help fit and close gaps between what is delivered in the product and what the enterprise needs in a very strategic way. And, and, and then of course I'll, I'll let Sam talk to the partners,
7: which of course are. Uh, yeah.
10: Well, I mean, our, thank you for the question. Our partners are obviously super excited about Extend and where it's going. Um, it allows them to do several things first of all I, I think it's building a developer community out there which is which is something that is going to help us all kind of build the long tail and make sure that we're not doing everything on our own second it's really giving our partners the ability to differentiate because they have deep expertise in these industries they've done it for decades and they want to differentiate themselves from each other if you will as they go to the customer and so they are really uptaking extend and they're writing new applications and they're writing new workflows they're Integrating at the data level at this business process level. So they're creating a lot of use case scenarios that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do And then at some point we're going to take those to market and they'll start to monetize those as well So you know building the solution and accelerating that innovation, but also taking it to market is super attractive to our partners
1: Okay, we're gonna take two more as, as comfortable as those chairs look up there. So two ah. more questions we are gonna go right here <laughs>
12: Thanks, Jason. It's John DeFucci from Guggenheim. And I, Brad. You're back.
4: Oh my god, Ah. you're back.
12: (laughs) I'm I'm back.
4: I'm not, I'm not
12: not dead yet. (laughs) 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 Anyway, Brad kind of took my question, but it, but it, I, just to follow up with his question, how do you actually uh, monetize it though? Like, how is it priced? Because, I, uh, Sam, we were out there talking to partners, they really are excited because they see it as, something that they can build a business around they can not only it supplements their implementation services but they can even do it take a book out of chano's take a page out of chano's book and go back to their base and sell more things to what they need so it, it was it's pretty exciting and, and something i've been asking in the old questions over the last uh, like more than huh. 10 years probably on this like when are you going to open this up because it's something unique it's really cool and he would turn to a, his tech people and say, when are we going to open this up? Because it's really cool. But and then Cheyenne finally said yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but,
12: but how do you monetize? Like, what is how is it actually priced? Like, like yeah. how, are, how are, you know, how, how's it going to be?
10: Monetized? Well, well we, we see two ways of doing it. Uh, if, you, if you look at the Deloitte's Accelerate to Zero solution, for example, right? It's a Deloitte sold solution on Deloitte's paper, but it, it, it wraps into it a channel motion for our adaptive product. And so as they go and sell the use case for the ESG reporting, the adaptive workday product is sold as part of that motion. So that's one motion is on partner paper monetizing their IP on top of us as a platform, right? But then the other motion of that is us reselling partner solutions. We're piloting with a few of those right now to try and figure out where do we want to selectively do this and where do we not want to do this. And so our ability to also go to customers in potentially areas that we're either missing or customers want that we don't have, and then be able to wrap a partner solution in that allows us to monetize it as a workday SKU, for example, and then pay the royalty back to the partner. So. Yeah, yeah
2: but, but the vast majority right now comes directly out of customers. Right. How are we charging the customers, Chano?
10: It is an SKU.
12: But is it based on? How many CPUs you're running, or, or is it? Uh, it
6: is based. On, it, it's a calculation based on organizational size plus usage. So, okay. so if I'm a small organization and I'm using it a lot, or if I'm a large organization, right? Uh, and, and so both knobs are in that calculation.
3: Yeah. So and as they're as they're building more and having more developers and building more use cases and extend, it, it grows, of course. Okay.
12: Right? Yeah. And if, if I could just a quick follow-up. The so, this whole your infrastructure, like I said, I. I always thought it was really cool, but I also think there's a cost to it too. And I think that's part of what your R&D is, part of, part of that cost, it's embedded in there somewhere. I w- I'm wondering if you could share at all, maybe Barbara, like what is the cost of maintaining your proprietary infrastructure, which is unique and has, made, has, has given you the flexibility, it's given you the flexibility in it from a technical perspective, but is there, is there any way that you can break that out or, or even roughly?
11: Well, I mean, a lot of that is in our cost of subscription. Beyond that, you know, that's not something that we've broken out.
2: It's not not broken out, but every application vendor has some level of proprietary technology. There's not a single one, SAP Oracle, ServiceNow, Salesforce. We all have proprietary uh, uh, development platforms. I think ours is purpose-built and really cool for what we do in HR and finance. Uh, there are components that, that Cheyenne looks at replacing over time that are now probably available on open source and we're constantly doing that. Uh, but you know, every, everybody has their proprietary uh, development platform that's purpose-built for applications.
3: And, i mean, and think of this again, on the monetization more as a one that has a lot of room to expand. It's usually not one that you land small because we may discuss a use case, or something they want to do, again, as the end, the usage. So you're know saying, and adding more, in the, and they see more use cases, and they're contributing. It has a, a long tail or potential, basically upside on expand. Hey guys, Brad Seals here, uh, B of A Securities. Thanks so much for a wonderful event.
5: I wanted to ask one on fins and verticals uh, here as well. Um, financials, 70% penetration in the in the Fortune 500, 75% penetrated education. How did you get that far along in those verticals? One thing I noticed on those slides was that accounting center seemed to be the common theme. Is that simply what's required here? You turn that AI, ML engine to to fill in the blanks on some of those processes that that accounting center can can manage? And then a second question would be on uh, customer satisfaction. How do you achieve those kinds of scores? Because we we often don't hear that as the case from other big
8: ERP vendors, so it seems to be a real differentiator.
3: Thank you. I'll take the industry and maybe I'll let you to comment on the customer satisfaction. First, on the financials. On financial services, what I share, Brad, is like we have 70% of the Fortune 500 as customers, right? And that we've seen a significant step change on what those customers have been taking on to core financial management and financial plus. And that we see that's a good opportunity for us to keep going forward. But there is a lot of room there for attaching financials to our core HCM customers especially because of the value proposition accounting center. It is true on ENG, as you commented, we already have on our current customer base there, the 75% attachment on financials because usually those customers, they tend come to us because we do have a student as a value proposition. They may take it today or they may implement it down the road as once they've done the full ERP on h H&M and financials, but they like the operational system as enhancing the value proposition. So their financial management has that attached on our customer base uh, today, but clearly, the, the, you know, there is a tremendous opportunity that we haven't touched yet. And we, I mentioned State and Local, which is side of ENG, and, of course, the opportunity that will come with FedRAM. Sure, you want to take on the...
9: Yeah, so on customer side, I would say a couple things. One, we talked it's the core value for the company, so every single employee in the company is focused on customers. So... That is super helpful. I would also say we try to make sure that all of our deployment methodologies, it's, we, we want to make the customer go live as quickly as possible, right? So, to, time to value, like we talked about earlier, is super important, and the sooner the customer can realize value, the happier they are. And then we maintain those relationships for the life cycle of the account.
1: Okay, so we are gonna close it there. Thanks everybody for, for joining. For those of you in person, again, we're gonna have um, happy hour networking right outside these doors. And for everybody else on the webcast, thank you and have a good evening.